0: Monday morning, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Hope you had a nice weekend. I spent the majority of my weekend arguing about a wall. I want to get a wall built. And we got a quote. It's a small wall in the front garden. Like a little garden wall. Nearly £5,000. You're having a laugh. I should not be paying £5,000 for a wall. As I was saying earlier on, you could buy a car for that much money. Basically, what I'm saying is, if you can do me a cheap wall, could you give us a call, please? Thank you very much. Coming up on this morning's show, uh, we'll be finding out about fly tipping. Is it happening in your area? It's mainly a problem with tyres, used tyres, just being dumped all over the place in the three counties. With uh, the first of the Olympic athletes arriving today and the uh, Olympic lane starting to go into operation, I think just on the M4 at the moment, we'll be talking more about the Olympic torch. And also, there's been a call over the weekend for the uh, soldiers involved in uh, the security of the uh, Olympics to be given bonuses. Surely it's their job to do what they're told, isn't it? Should they be getting a bonus just for doing that? 08459 455 555. And did you go to Rhythms of the World this weekend? We'll be speaking to one of the organisers this morning and finding out, was it a success? Or did the weather hold it back? It's been a weird weekend of weather. Up, down, left, right, all over the shop. You can give me a call at any time this morning. If there's anything I'm talking about that interests you or something that I should be talking about, then do give me a phone call. It'd be nice to talk to you. 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. You can text as well. 81333. Start your text 3CR. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Breakfast, here until 9... Let's start off with a little bit of Stevie Wonder, should we? Something nice and upbeat for this Monday morning. Stevie Wonder, I was made to love her. That's the kind of song you need eight minutes past six on a Monday morning, isn't it? Yeah, it's something a little bit... I think you can say with balls on the BBC, can you? No, you can't apparently, I apologise for that. Now... The government will today announce details of a £9 billion investment in Britain's railways. It's being billed as the biggest programme of investment in the railways since the Victorian era. The projects will include electrifying the Midland Main Line from Bedford to Sheffield, upgrading the East Coast Line and the reopening of the East-West Link from Oxford and Aylesbury to Milton Keynes. Our transport correspondent Richard Westcott reports.
1: Half a billion pounds will be spent electrifying the Midland Main Line from London to Sheffield. It's also likely that the line from London to South Wales will be electrified all the way to Swansea and there'll be money for a series of projects called the Northern Hub which will improve services across several cities including Manchester and Leeds. Electric trains accelerate quicker so can cut journey times but someone has to pay for it all. A lot of the money will come from the taxpayer. But there are also fears it could mean years of big fare rises.
0: Later on, the Deputy Prime Minister, Nick Clegg, will be giving more details.
2: What we're going to create is an electric spine right up and down the north-south of the country, from Sheffield down to London and from uh, the Midlands down to Southampton. Electrification from east to west as well, all the way from London right through to Cardiff and then on to Swansea. The electrification of some of the valley lines in Wales and, crucially as well, further announcements to further strengthen the northern hub, uh, particularly around Manchester, Liverpool...
0: Uh, I'm co- did he say an electric spine up and down the country? I'm confused, OK? I'm not a particularly train-type person, uh, because uh, in many respects I have a life. But uh, they're electrifying th- the line. I-, I thought that all trains were electrified these days. If there is somebody... List- I thought they were. I just assumed they would be. They're not steam, are they? If you're a train person in d- very short sentence, because let's not make the whole show about this, what does that mean, electrifying the trains? 08459 four double five five double five. I kind of assumed in uh, 2012 that all trains were electrified by now. Or is that me just being incredibly stupid and naive? Have I missed out? So- what on earth powers trains? That's what I'd like to know. Hey, one of the things that, that uh, excited me this weekend, did you go to, um... Uh, this Hyde Park concert with uh, with Bruce Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen, of course, uh, the boss. Not in Hyde Park, he weren't. Uh, his, his concerts legendarily go on for hours. You know, he can do three and a half hours uh, before, you know, having an interval, and then he comes back and does some more. Uh, and he was playing at Hard Rock Calling in, um, in Hyde Park in London, in front of about 80,000 people. So that's not an insignificant number of people there. That's quite a large number of people. Paul McCartney gets up on stage with hair a, a, a little bit too long, may I suggest, for a man who's, uh, who's approaching 70. Maybe he is 70. Or how old is Paul McCartney? I think he might be 70. Uh, but hair a little bit too long. Uh, they get up and do an encore of, you know, their uh, dad rock songs. Uh, and halfway through one of the songs, the uh, people in charge pull the plug and turn off their microphones. You've got to have uh, a certain strength of character to turn off Paul McCartney and Bruce Springsteen's microphones, haven't you? That takes some doing to go, do you know what? There's 80,000 people out there enjoying themselves. There's two blokes singing. They've gone a little bit too long. They're, part, they're, they're past the curfew, the deadline. Let's turn their microphones off, shall we? And uh, And upset that many people in a field. That's incredible. We'll be talking about Rhythms of the World um, later on. we we'll to Kath, who came on the show, I think, on Friday, to tell us everything was going to be A-OK. We'll find out if it was A-OK. If you went to Rhythms of the World, did they turn any microphones off there? Or were they allowed to, um, th- to carry on to their heart's content? 08459 four double five five double five is the telephone number to give me a call. I'd be interested to know if you uh, did go to Rhythms of the World. If you enjoyed yourself, did the weather... Create too much of a dampener? Was it, um, did it ruin things a bit? Sunday was quite a nice day, I think, wasn't it? It was all right, but Saturday, it wouldn't have been fun standing in a field listening to drumming music in that kind of weather, would it? 08459. 4555555 Four double five, five double five. We'll go through the front page of the um, the newspapers properly uh, a little bit later on. But um, I think we might have uh, a phone call on tyres already, and we've not talked about this properly yet. Later on, we will be talking about how there are a huge number of uh, tyres just being dumped, country lanes, fields, all over the shop. We've got Wurzel in Wendover. Good morning, Wurzel. Morning, handsome. How you doing? Ha <laughs> I'm doing... Bra- I've not been called handsome for a very long time, Wurzel, and it, can I say you've brightened up my morning?
3: Well, that's all right. A little bit of cow mucks rolled out thinly, good and long way.
0: I didn't understand a single word of that, but God bless you for saying it. Wurzel,
3: what's your take on, on uh, these tyres being dumped? You're going to have that happen all over the show, because garages are having <laughs> to pay people now to take them away. Yes. You're not allowed to dispose of them as you like. Well, that's but that's good, though, isn't it? That's the right thing. It is in some ways, but then you've got to look at the economics of it in the other way. Go on. Well, you go back ten years ago, yeah. and a lot of farmers used to make silage, have rubber um, sheets over the top of it, and they'd cover it entire so that the wind didn't go and leave it. Right. So you lost all them tyres. Well,
0: that's let's be honest, Wurzel, That's not going to be too many tyres, is it? Holding down a bit of tarp.
3: Well, ain't you kidding? What? Let's put say sixty or eighty to a pit.
0: Okay. But and but the could. thing is, I think because I know, I know this because my wife went to get a second-hand tire to make um, a little sandpit for my boy. That yep. the garages pay about two pounds fifty, three pounds per tire to to be collected. But that's included in the money that if I go to a tire fitter, that's included in my f- in the amount of money I pay them,
3: isn't it? That's, that's included in the fitting of the new tire. Yes. But going back 20 years ago... Yes. ...that thing, that never happened.
0: No. Okay. Wurzel, listen, and you might... Yes?
3: On <laughs> the other hand, you're talking about electrifying trains... There we go, you're all over the shop
0: this morning. Go on, go on. I've got Sophie waiting to give us the travel, so be quick, Wurzel.
3: Um, it d- it's going to cost God knows how much. Because yep. a lot of the trains what are urban, say, on Chilton Line and that, are diesel. Yep. So what you're going to have is a shortage of your electric because everybody's going to have electrified trains.
0: There we go. Wurzel, thank you very much there. Uh, Wurzel, my favourite caller of the show so far this morning, 08459 555. So trains are diesel. That's what we've learnt this morning, kids. Could you believe I'm presenting a show on the BBC? Let's get the travel news now with Sophie Tyler. Beds,
4: hearts and bugs news.
0: BBC Three Counties Radio. Your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. The government will today announce details of a £9 billion investment in Britain's railways. The projects will include extending electrification of the Midland Main Line from Bedford to Sheffield, upgrading the East Coast Line and the reopening of the East-West Link from Oxford and Aylesbury to Milton Keynes. Thousands of athletes and officials will begin arriving in London today, just 11 days before the opening ceremony of the Olympic Games. Heathrow Airport is expecting 10,000 more passengers than on a normal day. In sport, Watford centre-half Adrian Mariapa is expected to complete the £2 million move to Reading today. Hornets manager Gianfranco Zola said last week they wouldn't stand in Mariapa's way if he wanted to move to the Premier League. We'll have a full weather bulletin in a moment. And coming up, what do you do with your old tyres? We have Wurzel there telling us it's outrageous that garages have to pay to take them away. Most of us pay money to a garage or fitter to get rid of them, but during the recession, it appears that we're not all doing this. Find out more Shortly, uh, a lot of the papers this morning talking about the fact that, um, that the Olympics are getting closer. It's eleven days. I remember when it was years away. Suddenly, it's eleven days, uh, and the troops are being obviously we know uh, after the whole G4S n- d- debacle, uh, we're, we're getting troops that are going to be doing the security on the Olympics. And there's lots of calls for the troops should be getting a bonus. They should be giving a bonus. Well, I, I, should they be given a bonus? Um, they're all, th- their leave is going to be postponed and pushed back. That's fine. So they'll get their leave. That's fine. The troops have been given thousands more tickets to events and to uh, the opening ceremony. So that's fine. And it's kind of their job, isn't it? I put this out as a theory. I'm not saying this is necessarily what I believe. But it's kind of their job to do what, their government says. So, if their government says you've got to go and uh, patrol the Olympics, they do it. And I would have thought for these troops who are highly skilled, highly trained people who have been in theatres of combat—you know, a lot of them coming back from Afghanistan—patrolling the Olympics, it's going to be a doddle, isn't it, for, for those guys and, and girls? It's going to be a doddle. They could do it with their hands tied behind their backs. So here's a, here's a question for you. Should, should the, uh, the troops who are patrolling the Olympics be given some sort of bonus? Or should we just say, uh, well, you know, it's your job? 08459... Four double five, five double five is the phone number. You can call this morning about anything uh, that I'm talking about. double five four double five five double five, or you can text eight one three double three. Start your text three cr. I tell you what, let's find out what's happening in the world of weather, shall we? Here's Phil Garner. Phil, what's it going to be like for the Olympics? We're getting cl- We're eleven days away now. How is the opening ceremony going to fare?
5: Yeah, still a little bit uh, too far for us to see exactly what the weather's going to be at that sort of stage. At the moment, we've got a little area of high pressure building in, so fingers crossed it will be fine. But as I say, t- ten days ahead. Is a, is a long time ahead. Is that
0: That's the best you can do? Fingers crossed, Fingers Phil. crossed, the very best I can do. The science involved. Thank you very much. That's Phil Garner there uh, with the weather. A Hertfordshire councillor says tyres being dumped in back lanes is becoming an increasing problem in our area. But is the recession to blame? David Barnard says in the past week alone 60 tyres have been dumped down a back lane in Hertfordshire. Our reporter Serena Farrow has been looking into fly tipping in the th- in the three counties
6: it 's usually very very early in the morning or, or late in the evening when there's very little traffic about they come down the lane uh, that is behind us is a thoroughfare right the way through to Stopsley in Luton and of course they can drive down there the spin is, and they'll just empty the rubbish and drive on we do have covert cameras um, and we are able to pick up registration numbers and wherever possible we will interview and always
7: prosecute Nigel Gray managing director at Motor Bodies in Luton in a year probably uh, for three or four thousand so um, you know we do have a lot of tires and we have to dispose of all the old carcasses as well and it costs us um, 50 pence per cover but they are all kept here they are collected when we have a sufficient number by a company and they charge us accordingly
8: do you think people don't realize they're charged for it or some people do realize and that's why they end up just dumping them
7: it's a case of people don't want to know there's a charge basically and certainly leasing and fleet companies will not pay the 50 pence charge that is totally denied and we have to absorb the cost Perhaps if the end user had to pay the money, then you know, then they would be disposed of correctly, as opposed to being dumped on the side of the road.
8: Are you seeing a lot of tyres dumped on the road, or do you get people coming here with tyres to try and sell them on?
7: No, we don't get anybody coming in to try and sell them on, but um, the way I come to work, in fact, is through some of the lanes... And um, from north of Bedford, North Bedfordshire, and every week there is a pile of tires on the side of the road that has been dumped by uh, some unscrupulous dealer basically but i mean it 's not main dealers such as ourselves who do things like that it 's more of the smaller operations but when you see twenty or thirty tires on the side of a road that 's got to be somebody who is fitting tires or having it as a business it 's not the person who 's just got three or four tires out of his garage, and that 's what we normally see
8: and for you, would you say recession plays a big part?
7: The problem with tyres is they are difficult to dispose of because a lo- I don't think the um, tidy tip areas will take tyres. So consequently it pushes people into a corner as to what they should do with them. Until that problem is resolved then you know people will take the alternative course of action. The same problem happens with fridges and washing machines doesn't it? I mean yes. it's you know it's no different. So overall it's been a problem that's been apparent for some years. There's probably more and more volumes every year because there's more and more cars and it just it's um, coming to the fore. But I don't think we rece- session as such is anything to do with it really i mean people are finding things hard and tires they're a very expensive commodity now especially you know on some of the cars and they don't last a terribly long time either actually and it's not always people driving very hard i mean you can always see a car that lives in milton Keynes, for instance because there's so many roundabouts Uh, you know the near side front tyre will always be far more worn than the offside and it's not be being a bad driver it's just the way the roads are basically do
8: you think there could be better regulations of disposing of tyres or do you think the current one works
7: and what would you like to see i loathe to suggest any more regulation we're over regulated as it is i don't quite know how you can solve the problem i think possibly making it easier to dispose of things would encourage people to take them to the disposal area disposal areas in town you're not allowed to go in there with a sign written van or anything like that well that means people who have a little garage or something they where do they go with the tires it's very difficult for them whereas if they could actually take them there at no charge and um, then maybe they t- dispose of them there rather than dumping them on the side of the road it's 50p a tire to get rid of them that's not that much i'll
0: pay it it's not that much at all 60 tires 30 quid i'll pay it i never forget when I lived in Slough many, many years ago. Don't hold it against me. Uh, and there was a, 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 a tip that was kind of in a, a wooded area. Uh, and on the drive up to the tip, there'll be more and more rubbish, like mattresses and fridges and tyres and everything. T- old TVs. And you, they obviously just got bored on the way to the tip. I thought, oh, do you know what? I can't, I can't go this extra 50 yards. Let's just dump the mattress here, shall we? 08459 455 555. This is Ian Lee. MM, baby, get higher. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. This is your breakfast show here until 9 o'clock. Call
4: 08459 455 555.
9: 08459 455 555.
4: BBC Three Counties Radio.
0: Good morning. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you to everyone, by the way. On Friday, if you're listening on Friday, I was um, looking for tips on easing my little boy's uh, chicken pox, and your tips were superb. Thank you very much for that. We may have got past the itchy stage. I don't. Th- he's not been particularly itchy. In fact, he quite likes his chicken spots, as he calls them, and he wants them to stay. They look flipping horrible, didn't they? I've not seen chicken pox for ages, and they don't look nice in the slightest. The challenge on Saturday was entertaining a -a two-and-a-half-year-old indoors for the entire day. Grotty weather, so we couldn't go outside, couldn't go out in the garden, couldn't go out anywhere, obviously, because he's highly contagious. So entertaining a -a two-and-a-half-year-old boy all day indoors was hard work lots of mr maker i i, I must thank mr maker for his, his his help also we bought some dvds i'd never seen dumbo before and i bought dumbo it was eight quid. i thought I, I i'd never seen it before and we put it on and it's kind of all cute and nice and lovely and stuff and you know it's got big ears and everyone's laughing and it's funny and then i was on my phone sort of checking facebook and twitter with my little boy sat next to me i wasn't really watching it and then he started going daddy daddy what are they doing to the elephant i looked up it's the most horrific thing of the mummy elephant getting whipped and beaten So, sorry if you've got children listening uh, and then chained up in uh, in a cage marked insane elephant and i had to go to, to to my two and a half year old oh they're just playing he didn't buy the look of terror on his face was incredible it's a scary film <laughs> Uh, 08459 455 555. We'll be finding out more about the Olympic Torch after Barbara Streisand. Now that is a song. Is that from her remake of um, A Star is Born with Chris Christopherson? That's a cracking film. That's a good film. I've not seen that for a long time. I might um, see if I can get that on DVD today and have a little uh, cheeky look at that. Coming up in a minute, uh, we'll talk about the School Torch Tour taking place but uh, earlier on i mentioned about uh, there was there was a, a, a cry in the press over the weekend that the troops that are helping out at the olympics should be given some form of bon- bonus a lot of them are coming straight from afghanistan um they're missing out on their leave although their leave is being postponed um and i was saying well should they get a bonus or, or should they not isn't it their job perhaps sharon and amptill uh, has texted him 81333 starting her text 3cr Yes, they should be compensated. What about the ones who planned much-needed holidays and quality time spent with their families? Yes, they have a duty to Queen and country, but to someone else's competence, no. Sharon Inamptil. Well, some would say that maybe some of the battles they are sent to um, are because of someone else's incompetence. Colin! Liz! Hello. Sorry, you're on the radio. Colin will have to wait. Yeah, sorry. Colin, you'll have to wait. She's on the radio. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) What, what, are you getting Colin to get your cup of tea or something?
3: No, no, no. His phone was going off. Oh, blimey.
0: Colin, your phone's going (laughs) off. Liz is on the radio. Liz, ignore Colin for a minute. Okay. What what do you think? Should the the army be getting uh, bonuses?
10: (laughs) Personally, no. However, I think because the railways and the buses are getting bonuses, then they should. Because you can't, <laughs> you you can't treat one without the other.
0: The, the, the buses um, have, they, they've got their bonus now, have they? That's gone through. I think that's that's got the thumbs up. Should anyone be getting a bonus though? It's just it's just Man. their
11: job. It, yeah, it is
10: their job. They're lucky to have a job.
0: The thing about the army, and listen, I'm not in any way knocking the army at all. Uh, but if their government says you have to do something, then they have to do it it's that's the, the thing and, and policing the olympics compared to being in in battle in afghanistan or or wherever it's gonna be a piece of cake isn't it hopefully well, hopefully, Liz, there's a, a little good question mark in your voice there. Uh, Liz, thank you for that. I'll let you get back to Colin, all right? All uh, right, thanks, bye. ta there we go, 08459 455 555, what's your, what's your view on that? Uh, a week on from the relay through the three counties, and uh, it was very exciting last week. I've, I'm an old cynic, but even me, Monday in Luton last week, I got well into it. Uh, well into it. What am I? 15 years old. A week on from the relay through the three counties, one Buckinghamshire torch bearer is going on his own tour of local schools. Keith Yance from Finmere carried the flame through Stoke Mandeville last week. The world-renowned mouth artist has raised over £50,000 for charity since being paralysed in a car accident 17 years ago. Our reporter Simon Watts caught up with him.
1: I'd like you all, if you can possibly, look towards me and smile. That'd be
12: lovely. One, two, three, go! Yay! Meeting children at the school next door to his home in Finmere, 50-year-old Keith Yance shows off his Olympic torch, poses for photographs and tells his story.
8: What did you do before you were a
12: torchbearer? Oh, good question. What did I do before I was a torchbearer? Oh. I lived next door. <laughs> I had to travel a really
13: long distance, I? I've got my little painting room next door and that's what I do so all the time you're in school here having lessons and so on I'm in my room or outside in the garden and I paint all sorts of pictures from flowers to garden scenes to Venice
0: or London
12: A car accident in 1995 left Keith paralysed from the neck down, but in the years that followed, an undiscovered talent was born. He took up art and is now renowned worldwide. Keith paints using a brush held between his teeth. He raises money for charity through his work. Having carried the torch past thousands of well-wishers at Stoke Mandeville, he's now sharing his experiences at local schools. It was very...
10: Exciting. I didn't know what could happen. I found out, and it was very, really good. Mm. You got to hold the torch, and I had to
6: hold it with my sister. I thought it would be a bit softer. Was it yeah. quite heavy? Yeah, it was a bit heavy. It was really exciting.
11: It was real privilege and i really enjoyed it we got to see the torch and we got to hold it and we got a picture with keith and the the picture was taken
12: keith along with many of the bearers paid close to 200 pounds to keep his torch and a week on from his moment in the limelight it was time to reflect upon the event which will live long in the memory of the thousands who line the streets of beds hearts and bucks to see it pass through certainly a A great moment to shine. Unique
13: and uh, over in a flash, but that's special moment there will stay with me for the rest of my life I just remember think looking at the faces on the crowds there beaming smiles and smiley faces everywhere and waving hands when I set eyes on my friends and family
12: yes I think my mouth was wide open you must have visualized what it was going to be like for the weeks leading up to it was it as you'd anticipated I really couldn't have
13: possibly anticipated what I was to to expect, and it was awesome, I, uh, these are words I don't normally use, so inspiring that all the crowds had come out to just watch me. Large numbers of people had queued in difficult
12: conditions as well and uh, made a special journey to be there. And of course since then it's been a a pretty busy week with you. I joined you this morning here at at Finmere School and you're visiting local schools now, telling your story, showing off the torch and I guess uh, it must be great to see people's reaction.
13: The legacy of what the Olympics talks about and for me it's taking this torch around to various lots of schools I guess to inspire the young um, children Children um, around today, let them know that um, I've been given this great opportunity by just helping other people. Really, helping people in my
12: community. And I know this is a really difficult question because you've probably got hundreds. But if there's one memory that you can take away with you from from Monday, uh, what would that stand out moment be? Oh, um,
13: just seeing Cindy, my wife, getting as much joy and pleasure out, I think, as I did. And my father was there as well, and seeing the look on his face. But they were, as you said, many, many happy memories. I was—I felt like I was king for the day.
4: Beds, Hearts and Bugs News. BBC Three Counties
9: Radio.
0: Your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. The government will today announce details of a £9 billion investment in Britain's railways. The projects will include extending electrification of the Midland Main Line from Bedford to Sheffield, upgrading the East Coast Line and the reopening of the East-West Link from Oxford and Aylesbury to Milton Keynes. Police are appealing for mobile phone footage after three men were stabbed in a fight at the Milton Keynes Bowl during Saturday night's concert by the Swedish House Mafia. One man suffered a punctured lung, but Thames Valley police have described it as an isolated incident and say overall they were pleased with how the event passed off. In sport, Watford centre-half, Adrian Mariappa is expected to complete a £2 million move to Reading today. Hornets manager Gianfranco Zola said last week they wouldn't stand in Mariapa's way if he wanted to move to the Premier League. We'll have a full weather bulletin in a moment. And coming up, Luton swimming pool in Bath Road will be reopened as a free school from next year. Find out more after seven. Good morning, this is Ian Lee uh, on BBC Three Counties Radio with your breakfast. I'm here for the next few weeks if you want to give me a call at any point and already we've talked about fly tipping we'll talk about that a little bit more um and uh bonuses for the security staff that uh, the the, uh, the army who are patrolling the olympics you can give me a call on that and anything else 08459 455. five nine four double five five double five or you can text 81333 start your text 3cr Rhythms of the World, the volunteer run two day world music festival in Hitchin, is over for another year. Dozens of bands and musicians brave the elements to perform at the event, although the rain delayed the start of the festival. Kath Cole is head of communications for Rhythms of the World. Good morning again, Kath. Good morning. So, go on then, how did it go? <laughs>
10: Uh, well, I have to say, despite the rain, yes. it was an absolutely amazing weekend, and um, we really can't thank people enough for turning out in their thousands to support the event. It really was amazing. What
0: was the weather like over the weekend for you? Uh,
10: well, I think for Saturday, the one word would be wet. Yeah. <laughs> um, it did. It did come down um, for quite a few hours at different parts over the day, um, but people really just got into the festival spirit uh, as we instructed them. Got you know, bought their wellies, bought their waterproofs, and. and really just got into it and uh the mud almost seemed to add something to it to be honest did you not
0: pat did- at any point did you think we might have to knock this on the head because this is just getting so messy
10: no, definitely not. We you know, we spend a year organising this, um, and as you said, it's volunteer-led. Uh, there's nowhere on earth we could let down 800 volunteers or the tens of thousands of people that come. So, uh, no, we were going ahead regardless. We just needed to make sure it was 100% safe, which is why we had to delay the start on Saturday just a little bit.
5: What
0: were the highlights for you this year, Kath?
10: Well, I'm still buzzing from last night. I have to say, we had um, my passion on the BBC introducing stage, and just uh, it just it was amazing. And then Little Roy on the main stage, um, we just brought the, the sort of festival spirits uh, to Hitchin, and just, it was amazing. There's so so many smiles on people's faces as they were leaving.
0: How many people came to the event over the weekend?
10: we're also still doing the, the, the some workings out on that. We think it was probably around 20,000. Wow. But um, we're, you know, an awful lot of people, especially on that Saturday coming out in the rain. Um, but we will have final figures and everything published on our Facebook and Twitter pages over the next few days.
0: And it's all run by volunteers. So you've got a load of people this week going in to clear up and tidy everything up and take the stage down and put everything back to normal?
10: You bet we have. I left site at sort of midnight last night and they were just getting started on sort of taking everything down and they'll be there until at least Thursday. Uh, obviously, we need to try and get the grounds of Hitchin Priory back in some sort of good state for um, Thierry and his team who lent us the grounds <laughs> for the week. Yeah. Um, so lots of work still to do, but um, you know we're still on that high from the weekend. So Kath,
0: you left at midnight. You lightweight. (laughs) You lightweight.
10: I know, I know. The crew will never forgive me.
0: Uh, Is there anything you do differently next year?
10: Uh, no, I think we've got um, a winning formula, really. Since we moved to Hitchin Priory, it works really well. The team there, as I say, are really supportive of what we do, um, and we think you know, it's a really good alternative now to, to the format that we used to have. So, mm-hmm. no, I think we just carry on and try and get bigger and better.
0: Did you have to switch anybody's microphones off, because they went on too long?
10: No, no, everybody was very well there behaved. this we year. Very good. Because did you see about Paul
0: McCartney and Bruce Springsteen in the papers? They had their microphones turned off in Hyde Park.
10: <laughs> I wouldn't like to be the person to do that. <laughs> can
0: you imagine that, though? You're, you're, you're sat there in your booth going, I'm not being funny, but that, that ex-Beatle, he's, he's got another five minutes and I'm switching it off. That's
10: incredible, <laughs> isn't it? Very, very brave. Very right brave.
0: Kath, listen, thank you very much. I'm glad it's a success. Speak to you next year. Thank you very much. Tata, that's Kath Cole, who's Head of Communications for Rhythms of the World. If you went this year... How was it? How did it go? Was it wet? Did, did the rain put you off on the Saturday? I'll be honest, and it sounds like it was an amazing event and some great bands playing. Uh, the Damned were there, they? I do like it, the Damned. Love the Damned alone again, or oh, yes, please. Uh, but I'm also—I am an old man, and the thought of standing in a muddy field, really, at my age with with my back, it does not appeal to me in the slightest. <laughs> Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Did you go? Uh, and Did you have a lot of fun? And also, should the army be getting a bonus for stepping in at the last minute to help out at the Olympics? There is a, a school of thought that the army are just doing their job. Their job is when their government calls, they have to go and d- d- serve. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Is it? Or am I being slightly harsh there? 08459 455. 555 is the telephone number. You can text 81333. Start your text 3CR, please. Good morning, this is Ian Leon, BBC Three Counties. It's coming up to four minutes to seven. Oh, wait, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five. We've got, we've got a few minutes to have a quick look uh, at the front pages of the newspapers for you this morning. Uh, the Guardian, the Guardian has an amazing photograph uh, on the front page of um, th- th- these, uh, how can I describe this? These sort of acrobats dressed in red being suspended from a bridge. It's better than I've made it sound. It looks incredible. Choreographer unleashes daredevil dancers around London. Uh, they also free access to British scientific research within two years. Open publishing of taxpayer-funded work could take £50 million pounds from the budget. Um, and games are safe, despite G4S failures, insists Co. We've got the army patrolling the games. It doesn't get much safer than that, does it? The Telegraph. Was the petrol price rigged too? Oh my goodness! Cost of oil open to manipulation by bankers and traders in the same way as Libor official uh, report warns. Uh, and coalition will not make it to election. The coalition between the Kirk Conservatives and the Liberal Democrats is likely to end before the general election, a senior Tory has predicted. It's, it's falling apart already, isn't it? And surely the Lib Dems—they're they, completely screwed now, aren't they? If anybody voted Lib Dem, they're not going to vote for them again. I wouldn't have thought after jumping into bed with the Tories. Nick Clegg is possibly... I saw this uh, the, the theory posited at the weekend. Nick Clegg has possibly sold his party down the river just for a little bit of power. The Express. Outrage at pension rip-off. It's with the Express, it's always, is it going to be pensions, is it going to be uh, illegal immigration, or is it going to be mortgages? Today, it's pensions. High fees wreck values for millions of workers. The Daily Mirror, send for more troops, three extra battalions, standby in Olympic security. Farce, the Daily Mail. Four, oh, this is... Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not laughing because of what this is about. I'm laughing because of the, 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 the way this is phrased to create maximum terror. The Daily Mail. 400 sex convicts freed to rape. That's soft justice anger of the offenders who strike again. They, their headlines are always very terrifying. Uh, the Sun. Beach bummer, volleyball. The Sun is outraged that the volleyball girls will be allowed to wear trousers in the cold. <gasps> It's 2012, by the way, kids. It's 2012. The Times. Olympic security crisis suspected for months and the independent um, Britain flooded with brand police to protect sponsors. Organisers are taking no chances with corporate deals. Oh, wait, 459. 455555. Helps if I open the microphone. That's a little radio trick there for you, dear listener. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Breakfast. We've got loads more stuff coming up in the next two hours before Jonathan comes on at nine. Time now to get the latest news and sport with Simon Oxley. Thank you very much, Simon. I've just had a a little bonus visit from Jonathan Vernon Smith, popped in just to make sure I was okay. And can I tell you, dear listener, he smells wonderful. Like, just wonderful. when you walk into Boots and you get hit by all those fragrances. That is Jonathan Vernon-Smith. He'll be on at nine o'clock and he'll be with us in about an hour and a quarter or so to tell us uh, what is happening on his show. Coming up in the next hour, fly tipping. Free schools. And how doing exercise can help you if you've got or if you've had cancer. And here's something. If you've got kids... How much TV do you let them watch? I'm talking about toddlers here, really. So, sort of, you know, one to five or six. How much TV do you let them watch? And be honest. Is it, do you limit it, or do you kind of just let them watch whatever they want to watch? It doesn't matter. We'll talk about how uh, there's new research that suggests there's a direct link between toddlers' TV viewing habits and them being fat- and or fit oh wait 459 five, 455 double, 555 is the telephone number be honest about that please you can text it as well 81333 start your text 3CR this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Breakfast
4: Call 08459 455 555.
9: 08459 455 555.
4: BBC Three Counties Radio.
0: Luton swimming pool in Bath Road will be reopened as a free school from next year. It's one of six free schools across the three counties that's been given the go-ahead. Active Luton, who run the leisure services, are behind the proposal to run it. Chief Executive Helen Barnett is on the line now. Good morning, Helen. Oh, good morning, Ian. For those who may not know,
11: can you explain what a free school is? Um, A free school is a a community school, um, but the funding for it comes direct from the government rather than through the local authority.
0: Okay. Uh, And as an organisation who runs Luton's Leisure Services, why do you want to open a free school?
11: Um, We do run Luton Leisure Services, but we've also had... um, We have an active education team within Active Luton who have great experience of working with, with local schools... Um, And actually seeing the impact that sport and physical education can have on raising academic standards. So we're keen to to follow that blueprint into our own school.
0: I remember when I was at school, uh, uh, many, many years ago, that that PE and games was an integral part of it. And you had to do it whether you liked it or not. (laughs) uh, Has that kind of fallen
11: by the wayside a bit? there's an awful lot of PE and sport going on in schools, and, and Luton actually are, um, are leading the way in, in that respect. Um, but what we do try and make sure is that there's something for everybody. So we like to think that, that through the different activities, mm. you know, all children can find something that they enjoy. Is there a demand for this type of school in the area? There certainly is. We've done huge amounts of work out in the local community. Um, community groups, children's centres, preschools. You know, sort of talking to parents, talking to community groups. And, and yes, we've, we've seen lots of demand.
0: How many children are you going to be taking?
11: Um, each year group will have 120 children.
0: Right uh and you're looking for a real kind of mix of backgrounds as well aren't you
11: yes we are yeah we're, we're very much you know sort of believe in community cohesion and and getting all you know people from all communities involved so yes we would like to see that
0: and the school's being based in an old
11: swimming pool is it <laughs> that sounds bonkers it does sound bonkers and that's why it's not true is it not true um the old swimming pool will be demolished right um so it will raise the ground, and then a new school will be built on, on that site.
0: I see what you've done there. So the, the kids will not be sitting in a massive dip in a, in a hole in the ground. You're <laughs> going build, to actually build a building. Well it, done, you. Yep, that seems uh, uh, the basic. Uh, and how long do you reckon that's going to take? You, you want to open next year, don't you? We
11: certainly do. The target is to be open September of next year. Um, so we heard the news on Friday, and that's now full steam ahead, really. We're working with the DFE at the end of this week. Um, And they're looking to get sort of building underway as as soon as we possibly can. How much does it cost
0: to build a school?
11: Um, The school will be in the region of sort of eight, round about the eight million mark, we think.
0: Gulp. (laughs) <laughs> and where does that money come from?
11: Um, predominantly from um, the government, um, but there are some contributions. We're very, very grateful to receive contribution from um, the council too, in terms, particularly in terms of the land, which is fantastic.
0: And have you got um, the staff in place? Have you got a head teacher sorted out, or is that too early? To no,
11: no, that's too early. But right. that will be one of the first jobs that we undertake, um, because we are actually given funding to have the head teacher in place, probably from around January time. Okay.
0: What does a head teacher do if they haven't got a school? They just, I, what do they organise?
11: <laughs> well, um, from our recent experience with uh, the new sports village in Luton, the, the capital project is is a massive um, thing to be involved in, yep. um, making sure really the school is is fit for purpose and really enables us to to carry out our vision for education
2: helen
0: best of luck with it i'm sure we'll be speaking to you as the project progresses thank you very much there we go that's uh, chief executive um, helen barnett uh, from active luton uh, talking about the new school the free school that's going to be opening on the site of luton swimming pool it's not actually in the pool goodness, it's, it's on the site eight million pounds suddenly five grand for a wall in my front garden doesn't sound quite so expensive does it that, five four thousand seven hundred pounds let's give them the credit four thousand seven hundred pounds to build a short little wall in my front garden i'm sorry to keep banging on about it dear listener but uh, i was shocked by that that's a car that's a couple of really nice holidays it's a few nice holidays am i naive oh wait four five nine four double five five double five now i need you to be honest about this if you've got toddlers kids how much tv do you let them watch uh, new research. There's a story in The Independent this morning. New research suggests there's a link between toddlers' TV viewing habits and their fitness and fatness levels in later childhood. Youngsters exposed to more than 18 hours of TV a week, almost 15% of those studied, 18 hours of TV a week? That was about two and a half hours a day. We're almost a centimetre wider around the middle by ten years of age. Centimetre wider around the middle <laughs> that means they've got fat tums i think is what that says now back in the day when i was uh, young children's tv was limited by the fact that you could only get a couple of hours of it a day now of course many children's tv channels are on tap from the crack of dawn to late at night and many people worry about what it's doing to our children or grandchildren now i've got two i've got two kids a two and a half year old and um a little baby He's only a little baby. The baby doesn't really watch much TV. Although I've noticed if the TV's on, his eyes are drawn to it. It's remarkable. He will... I was. What was I watching yesterday? I was watching some nonsense on the TV because I had to. Uh, and uh, the baby was just staring at it. But the two and a half year old, we don't watch him let him watch very much this week this weekend we kind of maybe let him watch a bit more because he's poorly so when he asked for Mr. Maker we put Mr. Maker on but the thing we did if you've never seen Mr. Maker by the way it's fantastic we should get Mr. Maker on the show because he's brilliant uh it, it, he just makes stuff <laughs> he, he lives up to his name quite a like well he makes bits and pieces uh so what we did is we, we would watch a Mr. Maker and then we would make some of the things that were in that show so it was kind of... We, we were making the television experience a little bit more interactive. Basically, meant my wife, every time we watched an episode, had to go out to the arts and craft shop uh, up the road and buy um, pipe cleaners. That's, that's kind of how Saturday went. So we, we let him watch that and with some postman pats and things like that. But that's kind of it. His TV is limited. And I know it, it's kind of easy because they're still quite young and when they're a bit older, perhaps we will... It will seem... The, the easy option to whack them in front of the TV and just let them do, watch it while we get on and do stuff around the house. Is that the right way to go? How much TV? And be honest with you, I'm not going to judge you at all. You know, bringing up your kids is flipping hard work, isn't it? No one told me it would be this hard. It's the, best, it's the best thing in the world, but it's ridiculously hard. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. How much TV do you let your kids watch? And are you worried that it's damaging them. I would suggest that if they're watching the right kind of programmes, they can still go out in the garden and play. They can still go to the park and run around. It's getting the balance right, isn't it? And also, what's making them fat? It's the food, isn't it? I would suggest that's more important. We all want our kids to, to read, sit down and read. But reading is the most isolating thing in the world, more isolating than playing video games. You just sit there with a book on your own, looking down. You don't say anything. You're completely absorbed in the book. Video games, at least playing video games, you're talking to other people, potentially. 08459 four double five five double five is the telephone number if you want to give me a call and let me know. How much TV do you let your kids watch? There have been times in the last couple of months, and I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, when I've considered getting rid of the TV, thinking, do you know what? Because I don't watch it very much these days. There is nothing on I'm watching a bit of big brother i've got sucked into big brother this year i know i know i know but i've got sucked into it and i'm quite enjoying it and i'm glad that siobhan went that's all i'll say on the matter uh but th- th- there's very little on tv these days uh, yesterday the, the the kids went to to their grandmas um with mum and i had the house to myself and i thought oh, i'm gonna watch a bit of tv and i was there for 10 minutes and thought <laughs> there's nothing worth watching So be honest, dear listener. How much TV do you let your kids watch? Do you you worry that it's bad for their health? Maybe you're a grandparent and you are uh, frustrated at how much TV your grandchildren are watching and you think they should be out climbing trees and riding bikes and jumping in puddles. 08459
4: 555 Beds, Hearts and Bugs News. BBC
0: Three Counties Radio. The headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. The government will today announce details of a £9 billion investment in Britain's railways. The projects will include extending electrification of the Midland Main Line from Bedford to Sheffield, upgrading the East Coast Line, and the reopening of the East West Link from Oxford and Aylesbury to Milton Keynes. Police are appealing for mobile phone footage after three men were stabbed in a fight at the Milton Keynes Bowl during Saturday night's concert by the Swedish House Mafia. One man suffered a punctured lung, but Thames Valley police have described it as an isolated incident and say overall they were pleased with how the event passed off. In sport, Watford centre-half Adrian Mariapa is expected to complete the £2 million move to Reading today. Hornets manager Gianfranco Zola said last week they wouldn't stand in Mariapa's way if he wanted to move to the Premier League. We've got a full sports bulletin in 15 minutes with Simon, and we'll also have a full weather bulletin in a moment. Coming up on the show, a new study has shown how exercise can be beneficial to those who suffer with cancer. Find out more shortly.
4: This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio.
0: Fly tipping is becoming an increasing problem everywhere. Um, Is it to do with the recession? Is it to do with laziness? If you've got a view on this, if if you're uh, aware of fly-tipping taking place near you, or you drive down a road, it's these country lanes, isn't it? You quite often just see tyres and mattresses and bits and pieces dumped by the side. 08459. Four double five, five double five. A Hertfordshire councillor says tyre, tyres being dumped in back lanes is becoming an increasing, increasing problem in our area. But is it the recession that's to blame? Well, the BBC's Panorama programme has been tracking what happens to our used tyres and what's causing the fly tipping. And it isn't just affecting our area, it is countrywide. Our reporter Serena Farrow has been getting a picture locally by visiting both the garage and the councillor for North Hearts, David Barnard, who lives in Bottom, a
6: hotspot for fly tipping. It's usually very, very early in the morning or, or late in the evening when there's very little traffic about. They come down the lane uh, that is behind us. is a thoroughfare right the way through to Stopsley and Luton. And, of course, they can drive down there, the spinners, and they'll just empty the rubbish and drive on. We do have covert cameras, um, and we are able to pick up registration numbers, and wherever possible we will interview and always prosecute.
8: How many have you, you had so far, so to speak, since they've been working?
6: Probably about half a dozen successful prosecutions and um, there are others under investigation at this moment.
8: And how long have they been set up now, Reminders? us?
6: Uh, the cameras have actually been going for two or three years. Um, we have recently increased the numbers of cameras and are in fact investigating at the moment provision of more state-of-the-art cameras which we will install.
8: And this seems to be a problem that is is—it's just getting worse and out of hand, I guess.
6: Oh, very much so. Uh, what's happening is that uh, taxpayers' money in North Hertfordshire now is contributing to up to £10,000 per month in order to, um, to clear this criminal rubbish away.
8: Can we put it down to recession? People haven't got as much money?
6: No, I don't think so. Clearly, if people can save money, then they will. But you've got to be of a, um, a mindset that really has no concern for other people or the country. Countryside. One of the things that I find particularly frustrating is the fact that they have to virtually pass a tidy tip in order to get out into the, our countryside. The rules are basically that um, if you have a van, you're not allowed to drive into the tidy tip. Even if you could be, let's say, a, a carpet supplier or something like that with garden waste in the back, they will not allow you in if you have a van.
8: So how many tyres on average do you find a week, let's say?
6: Some weeks we won't find any, but on other weeks we could have 100, 100.
8: Why, as the tyres suddenly they've become a problem?
6: Probably what is happening is that a van driver is going around and picking up tyres from tyre depots, charging the money to take them away, obviously below the accepted commercial rate, and then pocketing the money and just dumping them out in our uh, countryside.
2: It means they charge you less for the tyres, and then... Then charge you for taking the old ones away so whatever happens you're paying to get rid of the tyres it doesn't really make a lot of difference what i used to do was to dispose of them at the garage when i had them changed
8: and did you used to have to pay for that though
2: i can't remember i think they just took them
7: that's two years ago i think you're paying for it twice probably
8: what so you're paying for the tyre and then they charge mm, on paying top it
7: right away, yeah. no option have you no choice
8: well there are some people who are throwing them on the roadside
7: well, that's always gone on.
8: Have you seen tyres just abandoned?
7: Oh, yeah. Pulling a lay-by and their tyres dumped around there.
8: And do you think that's only recently it's becoming more of a problem? It's more, you know, noticeable? I, I
14: think it's always been a problem.
10: No, I don't think they should be fly-tipping. I think, yeah, we, I work for uh, the local um, council and uh, we have quite a lot of that happening, so we pay out a lot of money, if, you know, of ours to, to get rid of it
0: it does seem incredible doesn't it that there's people just think they can dump stuff everywhere i won't even chuck an apple core out of the window apples are biodegradable the window of my car not the window of my house that would be terrible (laughs) can you imagine that just chucking food out of the house when i'm driving along the motorway i won't even chuck an apple core out of the window because i think it's very naughty i've got a friend whose wife uh is um feisty i think we could i think feisty is the word and she has on occasion seen someone chuck like fagash or a, a crisp packet out of it was a crisp packet out of a car window big bloke and she got out of her car went up and said excuse me i think you dropped this and put it back in his car that takes courage doesn't it is that courage or is that stupidity could never do anything like that Oh eight four five nine wait double five five double five Beds, Hearts and Bugs weather.
4: BBC Three Counties Radio. Let's
0: get the latest weather now with Phil Garner. Phil, what's happening, please? Good morning. A day for the coats and wellies, I think. It's one of those where we see a covering of cloud all the way through the day. That's the way your weather looks this morning. Thank you very much, Phil. I like, Phil, I like the way you start your, your bulletins with, in such a cheery way and then just deliver awful news. Even if the weather's awful, get
5: outside and go jump in a few puddles. Go enjoy
0: yourself. Well, this, this is the thing. I've got a little boy and he loves puddles. <laughs> I, 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 li- I like the rain. Yeah. I know yeah, it's unfashionable to say but I like it. Yep, Phil, thank you very much. We'll hear more from Phil a little bit later on. 08459 oh, five, 455 double 555 double is the phone number. Cancer patients in the three counties are being urged to do more exercise to reduce the recurrence of some cancers. It's after new research shows keeping active during and after treatment can also help reduce side effects. Former professional footballer Neil Sharp from Chipperfield was diagnosed with cancer three years ago and wishes he'd been told about the benefits earlier on. Good morning, Neil. Good morning, how are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm all right, thank you, Neil. Neil, can I ask, what what kind of cancer did you have?
15: Whereabouts was it? I had Hodgkin's lymphoma and it was, uh, uh, in my neck, chest, ribs, wow. spleen, spine, groin. It was pretty much everywhere, yeah.
0: How does it feel when you get told you've got something like that?
15: Uh, not great, obviously. Um... I knew something was going on from for quite a while, but it was just a case of trying to get to the bottom of things and and trying to just figure out what was going on. And
0: So did you feel kind of like poorly and run down, but you couldn't quite work yeah, out what it was? Yeah, for nice. quite a
15: long time, yeah, because I was still playing football at the time and I went from a pre-season of, you know, being able to run but not, not feeling great during pre-season because mm. um, I was having back pains and stuff um, to, you know, playing in the first team and then... By Christmas time, I was I wasn't even getting in the squad to play because I just couldn't. I, I, you know, I I I couldn't train. I couldn't do couldn't do a lot. To be fair, did you do
0: that bloke thing of going? Oh, it's, it'll get fine. I won't bother going <clears throat> to the doctor. Or did you go? I would assume as a footballer, they, you'd have been pounced on by the medics quite quickly.
15: Well, I I um, I was playing semi pro at the time, so right. um, I did go to the doctors quite a lot, um, with with kind of symptoms and different bits and bobs and and uh, i wasn't dismissed but it wasn't they no one kind of put their finger on it Mm. you know so i i i went from never going to the doctors for about 10 years to going you know maybe twice a month and that sort of thing just because my back was hurting i had rashy skin i'd started uh um Later on during the, the cancer, I had uh, night sweats and mm. really quite fatigued and, and that sort of thing. So um, yeah, it was a gradual build up. But uh, now
0: this research says that um, keeping active during and after treatment can help. Yeah.
15: You were given the opposite advice, weren't you? Well, I I was I was never told to because um, when when they said you're going to go through six months of chemo. I thought, oh, okay, well, I'll have my chemo, and then I'll be able to, you know, I'll be knocked out for a few days, and I'll be be able to continue like playing football and stuff like that. Um, but they actually said to me, "No, it's going to hit you quite hard, mm. and and that sort of thing." So you know, you're going to have to get as much rest as you can. So, um, but during during the chemo, obviously, you have your days where you just don't want to do anything, but then there's the other days where. You can go for walks and things like that. And I'm Mm -hmm. not talking about, you know, exercise where you're going to go out for a 10-mile run. I'm talking just get out and get into the fresh air because it does you the world of good. It really does.
0: And I would guess that the the advice, I'm not giving out any medical advice, but everything in moderation, you know your body and you know what your body is capable of. And and, and people, if they need to rest, they rest.
15: Yeah, I I think it was after my second dose of uh, chemotherapy, and um, the following day, I tried to go out and do some hill runs.
5: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I said, yeah,
15: I know, I know, I know. And no, It wasn't just going out for a jog, I went and tried to do some oh, hill runs. I, I did two, I did two, well and then done. halfway up the third one, I just thought, I'm not going to make it, I'm not going to make it. So I sat down and then and then got up and I could barely walk oh. up it, but luckily I was about a quarter of a mile from home. And when I got in, my wife was like, are you okay? And, <laughs> did you not, not really. think
0: you know how bad chemo is did you not think maybe i, I shouldn't do the hill route. I'll, I'll walk to the shops and see how No, because I, I,
15: I, I felt okay i Brilliant. felt okay but it really does knock the yeah. stuffing out of you but um yeah no i i went a bit too far on that one neil what do you do now i um i'm a carpenter and uh like a part-time personal trainer right okay so i did my personal training qualification while i was going through treatment and where is the cancer now How how are you uh i'm two and a half years in remission now fantastic um and uh yeah everything's good Everything's good. And did I just hear a little one in the background crying? Yeah, I've got. Yeah. I've uh, got, w- w- what have you got? I've got two little girls. I've got a four and a half year old and a, a nine month old. Yeah, you talk about
0: running up hills. That's <laughs> twice as hard.
15: Yeah, we've been up since silly o'clock this morning. So <laughs> it's good.
0: I know the f- my little boy's got chicken pox, and so he's not really sleeping very well. Yeah. It's two and a half and Al's he's
15: both had that within two weeks of each other. Really. About six weeks ago. Yeah. I
0: think my, my baby's gonna get it soon. Neil, listen, I could talk to you morning. It's, it's lovely to talk to you. Best and of you. luck with everything in the
15: future. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye bye. And you. Thank you. Bye bye. He
0: had chemo and tried to do it. <laughs> tried to run up a hill. I couldn't do that now, to be honest. I couldn't even do one of those now. Absolutely fascinating. Oh uh, eight four five nine four double five five double five. If this affects you uh, in any way, maybe you've, you've uh, had some sort of cancer treatment. Maybe you're going through the treatment. What advice have you been given uh, about exercise... Uh, d- 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 it's being recommended now that if you've got cancer if you're having treatment that if it's a, if you can some exercise could possibly help the situation 08459 455 555
4: call 08459 455 555
9: 08459 455 555
4: bbc three counties radio good morning
0: this is Ian Lee. Um, I'm here till nine o'clock. I'm here for the next few weeks. And while I'm here, it will be fantastic to get your phone calls. I don't want it just to be me whittering on because it... Uh, bored of my own voice. So if any of the things we talk about this morning... Kind of grab your fancy. Is that a phrase? I think it might be. Uh, tickle your fancy. That's it. Uh, then give, give me a call. 08459 555. Maybe you disagree with something I've said. Maybe you agree with one of the experts. Whatever. 08459 455. 555 is the telephone number. We've got a load of texts as well. You can text 81333. Uh, start your text 3CR. I prefer the phone calls, if I'm honest, because I like having a chat to you. And I think this makes... If you phone in, the show then kind of becomes about your voice. And I think that's important for a breakfast show. Anyway, some of the things we've been talking about. Um, soldiers. There has been a lot of uh, uh, hoo ha bru brou-ha-ha over the weekend uh, about soldiers. Should they be paid a bonus for stepping in at the last minute to help out with the Olympics. There is one school of thought that, no, they shouldn't, because it's their job, isn't it? If the government says do something, then they do something. Isn't that right? Anyway, uh, Eric has texted him. Will soldiers get their money back for cancelled holidays, and will they be able to take children out of school in term time? I don't think so. Do you know what? I bet if uh, a soldier were to go to a travel company and say look I've had to have my leave, I've, I've had my leave cancelled because I'm doing the Olympics can I have my money back I bet something would be sorted out wouldn't it I'm sure it would and also if they went to their kids school and said look my leave is, is being cancelled our holidays at a different time can we take him out of school for a couple of weeks I bet they I bet the school would be fine with that or is that me being naive I am quite naive <laughs> in a, a lot of aspects of life 08459 oh, five, 555 The Royal Mail's trial to deliver to a neighbour if someone's not in will be a year-long attempt when it ends in November to solve the conundrum. How do you deliver parcels when most people at work? Now, I was thinking about this. I thought, why does this not really affect me? And it's because I've got a silly job. I have a ridiculous job that allows me to be home quite a lot in the daytime. So I very rarely miss parcels. Although I do get those red, we try to deliver your parcel cards through the door even when i'm in which makes me think what are these postmen up to my postman's a lovely chap actually professor richard wilding from cranfield university deals in supply chain strategy and has some solutions
1: of his own good morning richard hello there hi (laughs) now richard first of all tell us what happened to you Well, I had a situation where, you know, even as I'm a professor in logistics and supply chain management, so I deal with this whole area, I had a situation where I actually had a parcel which was delivered, and it was a gift to me, and it just didn't arrive. So we contacted the company concerned, and they said uh, the parcel's been delivered to a hedge. To a, what, a, a, hedge? a hedge, yes, a hedge. So um, I sort of, um, you know, I was on a cordless phone, and I went outside and I said, "Well, look, the problem is we don't have a hedge at our house." <laughs> Fantastic. So, so we went outside and we looked around a few little bits of bushes and the grass, you know, at the front of our house. Yes. And there is no hedge. There was no parcel either. And um, anyway, the company concerned actually was very kind enough, and they re- re-delivered the items. And uh, this time, they yeah, delivered them with another, another. And they did arrive. Mm. About three weeks later, though, we had somebody come to our door, knock on the door with a parcel. And I said, "Well, oh gosh, well, where where did you find that?" And they said, "We found it in a hedge, um, you know, a few hundred meters down the road." So, how far away was this hedge from your house? Well, it must have been about probably three hundred meters, yeah. so about a third of a kilometre. And what? What, what <laughs> on
0: earth was
12: the delivery driver
1: thinking? That's insane. <laughs> well, I think the delivery driver thinking was was trying to think. Well, you know, where you know where is the property? I mean, we we have a situation where we've got a bit of a gap between. Uh, if you like the house numbers on our particular road, yeah. but of course that's no excuse. And part of it is, is that the delivery drivers are under a lot of pressure to get deliveries done. And what we suspect has happened is, is that they they pro- probably put a note somewhere. I mean, we, we we didn't have a note put through our property, but maybe it's put through another property. And of course, this was actually left in a hedge, but we 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 didn't receive the item. Um, the the th- the problem with home delivery and sometimes we call it the parcel conundrum, because uh, people want the stuff in the evenings, yeah. as it were. But it's interesting because not all people want the stuff in the evenings. So what we have to recognise is is that the courier is actually an extension of your business. So if you employ or you use a bad courier to ship a product, it's a bit like going into a shop and having a really bad shop assistant serving you. Mm. You know, they can destroy the relationship with the business. So really, if you think that it's not just a matter of me putting the item into the post and thinking, that's my job done, actually companies need to consider who they're using Mm. to to do the delivery and try and actually meet the customer's needs. And this is what they often overlook because some people... They want the stuff in the evening. Others want it at other times of day. But other people just want to know where it is when Mm. it's being delivered. And we can do that now with mobile phone apps, for example, that, um, you know, using the location systems on that, you're able to actually know where the driver is. You know, you can actually, um, the companies could allow drivers to be, you know, where they are on a particular route. But also the driver, you could give permission so that they know where you are as well so if you're not in the property huh. they could actually locate where you are as well so so we now have a lot of technology which has sort of come on stream in the last uh, the last few months well a- actually really in the last year or so which enables people to work in a very very different way so we can start innovating in this particular area but the key thing I think for customers is you know I just want to know where where the item is, is it being delivered and that creates trust in the transaction which is taking place. It improves the customer service given by the courier company to the final customer, which also reflects really well on the businesses which are actually sending the product out to you. So these companies, And we're not talking about Royal Mail now, but some of these companies
0: could be so much more flexible. I've had stuff that they've tried to deliver it, and then they leave a card saying well, call up and we'll arrange another delivery. And it's between nine and five. And I've said on the phone, could you look, we've got a, a little tree by our front door. Could you just leave it behind the tree? Oh no, we can't do that yeah we
1: we need a signature we, um, you know, i'm giving stay. you
0: my verbal permission to <laughs> le- i will take full responsibility just put it behind the bins i'm terribly sorry we can't do that well th-
1: that's not very helpful is it Well, no, it's not very helpful. And part of it is, of course, is they've got their performance measures, as it were. They need to have a proof of delivery. But we can think innovatively about this as well. Think about your mobile phone once again. You've got your GPS positioning. Mm. They could go to your door. They could take a photo of the item at your door, being left at your door. You know that the delivery has taken place. And if you've given permission, for example, that might be enough to satisfy. You know the actual customer who shipped the item, and so we can think inno- innovatively about the way the uh, the way we do this. Of course, you know you can give permission to have it left as a tree, but what they're concerned about is that uh, then it disappears yep. and it can't be found and everything else. But there might be other things that you're satisfied with, or you yep. can satisfy them with. So there's lots of ways around this, and there's lots of little companies who are coming on stream now, starting to actually look at the different ways in which you can do this. There's um, the services being offered um, which enable people to predict the time of delivery as well. So, you know, rather than you having to stay in the between 9 thing. and 5 Exactly. And that kind of
0: 8-hour window is no good. If they could say it's going to be a 2-hour window even, would be fantastic.
1: Well, that's right. And what they're... Um, I mean, there's a company called uh, DPD who has something called the Predict Service which they're using with some of their big companies. And that does precisely this in the morning. I mean, it's still in the morning, mm. but at least they're able to say we anticipate it's going to be coming in this one-hour block, yeah. for example. Um, other businesses get around this by by just you know guaranteeing delivery at particular times. But what we have to also remember is this will cost the consumer yeah, you know the more of this which goes in so you can have a really all cheap cost. delivery where they throw it into a hedge and um, <laughs> you go and find it later because that doesn't cost the organisation very much but, but, Richard, but as soon bonus. as you're doing more of this we have to start thinking how much time it takes the information systems and everything but as a consumer I might be willing to pay for <laughs> that I want choice you know I want choice Richard
0: that's thank you very much I'm ending it there uh, just so I can get a word in edgeways and also so, so we can get uh, the news travelling thank you very much that's Professor uh, Richard Wilding, who is uh, who works at Cranford University and deals in supply chain strategy. It's a, the, the worst thing I find, and I'm sure the professor would agree with me. Is when you, you, they they deliver it, they try to deliver it, they can't deliver it, they try again, they can't deliver it, and you have to go and collect it from the depot, and it's miles away. It's miles away. It can be in South London sometimes. What a pain in the backside. Professor, thank you very much. Absolutely fascinating. 08459-455-555.
4: Beds, hearts, and bugs news. BBC Three
0: Counties Radio. The headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio at 7.46. The government will today announce details of a £9 billion investment in Britain's railways. The projects will include extending electrification of the Midland Main Line from Bedford to Sheffield, upgrading the East Coast line and the reopening of the East-West link from Oxford and Aylesbury to Milton Keynes. Police are appealing for mobile phone footage after three men were stabbed in a fight at the Milton Keynes Bowl during Saturday night's concert by the Swedish House Mafia. One man suffered a puncture lung but Thames Valley Police have described it as an isolated incident and say overall they were pleased with how the event passed off. In sport, Watford centre-half Adrian Mariapa is expected to complete a 2 million pound move to Reading today. Hornets manager Franco Zola said last week they wouldn't stand in Mariapa's way if he wanted to move to the Premier League. The weather for Beds Hearts and Bucks, a cloudy day of course with some light patchy rain this morning turning a little heavier this afternoon. Top temperature is 18 degrees Celsius. And coming up, when the tyres on your car are replaced, you pay money to the garage or fitter to get rid of the old ones. So why, then, is the British countryside being littered with tens of thousands of used tyres? We find out more after 8am. If you want to give me a call or get in touch with the show, please do. It's 08459 555. You can text 81333. Start your text 3 uh, cr or email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. Good morning, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. If you want to give me a call and take part in the show at any time about any of the things we're talking about, or maybe something you think we should be talking about, 08459 455555. Uh, A racing driver from Hemel Hempstead who broke his back at Le Mans race last month is making good progress. Anthony Davidson's Toyota car cartwheeled through the air before hitting a crash barrier. His father, Dennis, was watching the race on TV when it happened and joins us on the line now. Good morning, Dennis. Morning, Ian. Tell us what happened. Uh,
14: Yeah, um, probably the best illustration the listeners could get to his accident, at Le Mans, which happened at a, an, an incredible 180 miles an hour. Wow. The car flipped upside down. Um can be seen on YouTube. If they put in Davidson Le Mans crash, you can see this incredible flying... It was really a flying accident because, um, like most of these modern racing cars, they're designed in a wind tunnel, and once the car doesn't present its front that it's designed to, to have downforce, the thing just flies in the air like a piece of cardboard. But mm. um, He's making good progress, and um, he's in a full body cast from his from his chin to his pelvis, and um, this was made in France in the hospital, a very clever piece of kit that zips up at the side so he can unzip it and breathe in and uh, expand his Oh, so it's, it's
0: not like you, you would get in the old days in the hospital where it's it's all completely, he, he's stuck in there for for months, he can kind of get a little bit of air every now and then.
14: That's right, yeah, especially when he eats, he says. <laughs> it's <a> relief." <laughs>
0: but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> How? Listen, you're, I'm a dad. I've only got a boy who's two and a half, but I'm a dad. How did it feel, as a dad, watching that on the telly?
14: It was horrifying. <laughs> but uh, what happened was we were watching the race live. It's a long commitment for the 24 hours, and I usually sit up the whole 24 hours
0: writing notes. Do you really? Well done, good for you.
14: Well, I'm a motor racing fan, and I've been watching it for years, and um, his his career started when... He was a go-kart eight years old. We had our own little junior team. And our claim to fame is we beat Jensen Button to the British Junior Championship. In, in your 1990- face,
0: Button. Well done. <laughs> yes. So, so I was very proud of that.
14: That was, that was my achievement. But the motor racing is all his. And uh, he even did some Formula One uh, with three different teams and um, scored a few 11th places, which wasn't bad for the old car he was in. Yeah. And um, he then progressed to manufacturer sports cars. So he's done quite a few Le Mans, and you led Le Mans in 2010 and 2011 with the Peugeot team. Uh, He was leading the 24-hour race. But you share the car with a couple of other drivers, and you've got to overtake lots of cars on the way of the 24 hours through the day and the night Mm. and everything that comes at you. Well, Anthony was coming down Well, this year. He's with Toyota, who made this fantastic new car, which is a hybrid. So it's half electric power and half engine power. And he was coming down the main straight at Le Mans at 200 miles an hour, In, if you like, the fast lane, because this is a French public road. Mm. And on the left-hand side are all the GT cars. It's funny to think of them being the slow cars when they're Ferraris and Porsches and Corvettes and so on. And um, you hope that they stay on the left so you can pass them on the right. But as he came to a kink in the Mulsanne Strait at 180 miles an hour, um, a Ferrari on his left with an amateur Driver who pays for his drive as opposed to being a professional, without looking in his mirrors, presumably, swoops across to the apex and hits Anthony's left rear wheel, knocking it clean off the car. And as both cars went sideways, the air went under Anthony's car. And as I explained, these aerodynamic cars Mm -hmm. are like a big wing. And so the air went under it instead of it barrel rolling as you'd think in the direction it was sliding, it actually went the other way. The air went under it, lifted it upside down, and we saw it coming at us on the TV screen upside down. And my first thoughts were, well, I shouted at the screen a very loud no. <laughs> um, and it came out, I'm now thinking, is it going to crump down on its roof? Is it going to burst into flames? And then the consequences of the accident. And apparently the landing force was 35G.
0: Wow. You could have... Uh, I find this incredible, Dan. You could have been watching your son die. He could have been killed so easily.
14: Right before my eyes, yeah. That's right. In fact, he was told by the surgeons he's very lucky to thrive, survive with a, just a compressed spine. How so, is... uh, it's part and, part and parcel of that game, isn't it, really? It's um, it's a risk oh. that you take. It's um, Hopefully you're going to, you know not have these accidents, mm. but I'm afraid all racing drivers have these m- massive accidents. And I, I
0: like the way you said you watch him and you take notes. So when when he'd finished, would you would you go well? You did, you did well, son, but I've got a few notes. You could have done this <laughs> on the 15th lap. <laughs> no, no, and... no,
14: no. I can assure you the engineers take far more okay. notes in this electronic age <laughs> that we live Good. in. I, I merely do it to keep track of the race right. and who's in the car and what lap times they're doing and so on like that. Um, but he intends to be back next year. Um, Sorry? So yeah, so he, He's going to do he... it again? Yeah. <laughs> well, in fact, if he's ready at the end of the year, they've got a race for him in Fuji in Japan, and they, if they can build another car in time, he'll be back in it. <laughs> how does that
0: make you feel, knowing he's going to go back to it? You, you must be terrified for him. Um,
14: well, I don't know, not re- really. I mean, having I raced him, remember, as a kid yeah. like, from when he was eight years old, and um, accidents are part and parcel, unfortunately, yeah. of that sport. Um, and uh, last year, that's right, he was on his push-bike training, and a boy came off a path on a BMX bike and T-boned him, oh, and he broke his collarbone and smashed the bike, which is carbon fibre. So it's just as dangerous on a bicycle.
0: <laughs> You're absolutely right. And, ha- and how is he now? You-, you said he's in a cast that he can kind of uh, can be unzipped if he's had a big roast dinner. How is okay. he in himself? Is he all right?
14: Oh, yeah, straight away. The, the, these these uh, professional sportsmen are amazing people. Mm. They're very, very positive. Yeah. They, never look at, they never moan about the negative. Oh, that bloke, why didn't he look where he was going? Um, no, very positive. Very cheery. He's a very witty character and um, optimistic. And uh, he's doing a bit of rehab now. And uh, he's re- really looking forward to get back in the driving seat. And his other job is with a TV company doing a bit of commentary on the Grand Prix. Not so he's... Him really looking forward to getting back to doing something
0: dennis when he when he gets back in the car and starts racing again do, do come on and let us know how he goes that's dennis who is uh, anthony davidson's um dad and anthony of course is the racing driver from Hemel Hempstead who broke his back uh, in a race it just sounds incredible it sounds incredible imagine being a parent and watching on live tv your son potentially be killed just can't imagine the fear and they're, they're having a chuckle there. are like oh well you know he'll be, he'll be back <laughs> well done congratulations uh, we're talking about fly tipping and the uh, increasing problem of the dumping of tires in and all over the country but particularly in uh, beds hearts and bucks we've got sheila in st albans good morning sheila good morning what do you reckon to this
16: uh why don't all the garages have to spray paint some sort of um code or part of the name of the garage on, um, so that when they're picked up by a man in a white van and dumped, you can then uh, find out where they came from originally, and then go back to the garage and say, who did you pay to take away your tyres?
0: So when, oh I see, so y- you're assuming that it's not necessarily the garages themselves that are doing this, It's it's kind of the company they use... To, to get rid of them?
16: Yeah, I'm, assu- I'm, I'm assuming that's it. But then, on the other hand, if it is the garages who are doing it, you'd then find out N number of garages that all got um, spray-painted marks on their tyres, and maybe one or two garages don't.
0: But if it's the ga- well, if it's the garages that are doing it, they're not going to um, want to no, take part in this, are they?
16: No, they're not. But then the garages that are doing it are going to be excluded yes so that you then sort of suddenly realize hmm, that's a bit odd because all you have to do all you have to do someone does is, is check with um certain garages to make sure they are putting pink or yellow or whatever colors on oh, their you make cars
0: it, you make it sound so pretty
16: <laughs> <laughs> well you know so, you know so, i mean i would have thought i mean after all don't we have this white water do you know what I'm saying? What's the white water? Well, you know what I mean. You know when you, you have things are sprayed by something you can't see? Right, okay. And then you can only see it yep. when, when it's highlighted by UV light or whatever it is.
0: The thing is, this is, this, this is on two levels, isn't it? This is the, 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 the big level of having tyres and mattresses and things all chucked everywhere. It's also on the micro level, the local level. I've, I, I hate litter on the street. I hate it. There's always a bin five hundred yards down the road so however unpleasant it is to carry a dirty apple or a bag a, a packet of crisps or a, a burger box or whatever you're always going to find a bin soon enough just take it to the bin would you ever Here's something sheila if you saw someone dropping litter in the street would you ever go up to someone and, and have a word with them
16: uh yes possibly i mean i i saw a young lad who spat the other day and i said excuse me don't do that and what did he say? Mm-hmm. So his mate's back. So, oh. so I then said, Well, don't do that. And then I said to him, Of course, I said, You know, health and safety. I said, Hopefully. I said, Maybe maybe your child will fall down in that one day, years to come. I said, And carry something off with it, you know. Hopefully. So, I, so I was Hopefully. more or less saying, It's not that, <laughs> you know what I mean? I was trying to say. Don't be obnoxious, no. but just think of it from the point of fact of what it might carry no, or, what, right. or what you might pick up on your shoes.
0: Sheila, thank you very much for that. I, mean, I don't wish ill on anyone's child. I, there were some um, little so-and-so, stopped myself just in time there the other day, at the uh, Friday, beating the hell out of a bus stop near me. Just trying to shatter the, the plastic. I had a go at them. I'm turning into, I'm, I'm going to be such a good old man. I'm virtually there. I told the kids not to do that. They told me to to go away in very strong terms. No one's had the courage yet to come on the air and tell me how long they let their kids watch the TV. 08459 oh, four double five five double five, five. Vic sums it up in a, in a text very nicely. Ian, when I was a child, TV wasn't about. There you go. Solves that problem. Here's the news and sport now with Simon Oxley. BBC Three Counties Radio, first for news. <sighs> Simon, before you disappear, do you have a charity you support? Um, nothing in particular, but a little ha- for you now and again, have a think because uh, I, I, listen, I apologise profusely. I messed up the beds there. Every time I mess up the beds on your travel, now I shall give a fiver to the charity of your choice because I it's, <laughs> it's, have a think. Have a think because it's annoying for me. It's ter- particularly annoying for you, and I, I will learn my lesson. Fiver for every charity, any charity you want. Every time I do it, Simon. I hope that's okay. Okay, thank you very much. Oh. Uh- morning. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. It's, it's, it's only my second week. I'm still learning what all of the buttons and all the knobs and the faders do. We'll get there eventually. I'm only here for another three weeks. By the end of it, I'll, I'll, I'll probably have got it. Coming up in this hour, we'll be talking more about should the army get a, a bonus for working at the Olympics. The railways, fly tipping. Oh, And Elton John's got a book out. We'll find out more about that. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Breakfast.
4: Call 08459 455 555.
9: 08459 455 555.
4: BBC Three Counties
9: Radio.
0: Today, the government will announce a big injection of cash into the rail network. The multi-billion pound plan is being billed as the biggest programme of investment in the railway since the Victorian era. The projects will include electrifying the Midland Main Line from Bedford to Sheffield, upgrading the East Coast Line and the reopening of the East West link from Oxford and Aylesbury to Milton Keynes. Let's get more from our business reporter Michael Miller. Good morning, Michael. Good morning.
17: How much is the government spending and on what? Uh, the government's spending around about £9 billion. Uh about £5 billion going to go to projects that are already up and running. £4.2 billion for new schemes. And as you mentioned there, there's things going on all over the place. Upgrades upgrades on the East Coast line, from London to Leeds and Newcastle. The big uh, showstopper, probably, for the government will be a big electrification project, uh, the Midlands main line. And, uh, yeah, £9 billion up and down the nation. Is this going to mean higher fares for rail users? But yeah, that's the £9 billion question right there, yeah. because uh, government not, uh, you know, sort of uh, overflowing with cash at the moment. Now, we're going to get more details on this announcement later on today, the Department for Transport being uh, a little tight-lipped on this, but uh, maybe soft being softened up slightly, there's a, cl- a quote from Nick Clegg doing the rounds this morning, saying, we've been very open in the past, we think there needs to be some above-inflation rail ticket increases to help fund this major infrastructure and investment, so it does sound like a little bit more... Will be coming out of our pockets. There's
0: lots of talk of the government spending to boost the economy, but it's not going to happen immediately, is
17: it? No, this is part of a five year plan, 2014 to 2019. Now, no doubt when the government announces this later on, they'll make uh, a big deal of the fact that this is getting money into the economy, helping give the economy a bit of a kick start, because it's basically flatlining at the moment. Um, and uh, the critics, We'll turn around and say, hang on a second, guys. It's 2012 at the moment. Uh, and this is not scheduled to start till 2014. We could do with something happening a little sooner than that. It's also
0: being seen as a move to bolster the coalition, isn't it? Because they're struggling at the moment.
17: Yeah, just a little bit, yeah. Um, This is going to be basically the last meeting of the Cabinet before they all go off their ways for their nice long summer holiday. And uh, this away day, as it's being called up in the Midlands, uh, will be a chance certainly for Nick Clegg and David Cameron to stand there and say, look look at this great project we're unveiling. Great for us, and uh, hopefully be able to uh, go off on their summer holidays uh, on what they consider to be something of a high because. It's uh, particularly with the House of Lords reform and all that kind of stuff recently. The coalition have been at each other's throats, and David Cameron's asking them to, uh, well, he said, told them to stop navel gazing over the weekend. And as I say, hopefully, in the, certainly, in, uh, from their point of view, this will give them a chance to uh, go off uh, to the beach or wherever it is they're going, uh, safe in the knowledge that they've in, uh, announced this this big and hopefully popular project.
0: Michael, thank you very much. Our business reporter, Michael Miller, reporting on the uh, nine billion pound upgrades to the to the trains. Trains are expensive anyway aren't they the, putting the i'm going to um glasgow in uh, october to see michael nesmith of the monkeys he's doing a little tour i'm following all around I'm gonna see him in glasgow in manchester in london i'm very excited and i looked at getting uh, a train up to glasgow i can't remember how much it was but it was cheaper to fly now how can it be cheaper to get on an airplane than it is to go on a train that seems ridiculous to me. And I like the train. I, d- I like a kind of a few hours on the train because I get a bit of peace and quiet. I can take my laptop and do some work or watch a film or read a book or have a little doze. So I, I do enjoy being on the train. I have not been on the train for years and then two years ago I went to one and discovered they've got plugs on. What? <laughs> they've got plug sockets? How does that work? That's some extension lead they're using. But how is it cheaper to go on an aeroplane than it is to go... On a train, that just seems ridiculous to me. And if the fares are going to go up, do you use the train regularly? Do, do you think that these changes are going to be worthwhile? And are you happy about paying inflated fares? 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. I know loads of you listening to this use the trains a lot. Is it going to be worth the extra cost? 08459 455 555. When the tyres on your car are replaced, you pay money to the garage or fitter to, to get rid of the old ones. It's not a huge amount. I think it's about 50 pence. But it's meant to fund them recycling the tyres responsibly. So why, then, is the British countryside by being littered with tens of thousands of used tyres? David Barnard, a Hertfordshire councillor, says tyres being dumped in back lanes is becoming an increasing problem in our area. The BBC's Panorama programme has been tracking what happens to our used tyres and also uh, track some of those responsible for what's been described as fly-tipping on an epic scale. Uh, we've got Raphael Rowe on the line. Good morning,
5: Raphael. Good morning. Tell us how big a problem this has become. Well, to give you a sense of the numbers we're talking about, some of these illegal tyres are so big they can be picked out by satellites in space. In Hampshire, more than 2 million tyres were dumped at a secluded site in the countryside. Further north in Yorkshire, 300,000 tyres were dumped on an industrial estate. It is indeed epic. So what's happening to the money that we're handing over to the garages when we get rid of our old tyres? Well, usually you are paying about one to £2 per tyre, money that is meant to finance their responsible recycling. Mm-hmm. Tyre fitters and garages then sell the tyres on to a third party, which is meant to dispose of them responsibly. Old tyres can be shredded and used as fuel, a cleaner and cheaper alternative to coal, or bowed and used to line landfills to prevent chemicals leaking into the groundwater. But we found that some of these outfits were simply dumping them in the countryside or duping landowners into renting them Space that is meant to be temporarily and then simply disappearing. Maria Burt was one of their victims in North Wales. She rented farm warehouses to a couple who said they were bringing in a shredding machine. 25,000 ties later, they simply disappeared. In just a few weeks, they'd netted about £15,000 and left Maria Burt with a massive problem. Here she is.
11: Every morning you wake up, you think, well, the first thing that comes into your head is, I've got to get rid of those ties. How do I do it? I haven't got the money to do it. How do I get the money?
5: Now, Maria ended up borrowing more than £30,000 to get some of the tyres taken away. And because of the fire risks, the Environment Agency cleaned up the rest. So that's a taxpayer's expense. And as far as the people who dumped the tyres, last we caught up with them, they were living the expat life under assumed names in the sunshine in Mallorca. Now, we did track them down, but suffice to say, they were not keen to give the BBC an interview. <laughs> I bet they were. Mm. Who's in charge of regulating tyre disposal? Well, the industry self-regulates, and Peter Taylor of the Tire Recovery Association said most operators are reputable. He has called for more funding from, for, for the Environment Agency to go after the large-scale fly tippers, and here he is.
17: I think self-regulation works well. We operate a voluntary best, best practice um, scheme in this country, the Responsible Recycler Scheme, which covers between 70 and 80 percent uh, uh, of national arisings. And That's the largest scheme of its sort in Europe. The problem we face is that at the margins there are operators who work to different standards to ourselves.
5: And are the Environment Agency in a position to clamp down on this? Well, they're trying, but on a budget of just £17 million a year to tackle waste crime, those in the know say it's not nearly enough given the money to be made by those illegally dumping tyres. In Swansea last year, for example, when an illegal tyre dump caught fire, the cost of tackling it reached more than £1.5 million. Now, Andy Hyam from the Environment Agency gave this take on the situation.
13: You're paying a the price there, so how- US ties disposed of in an environmentally friendly manner. So you've been, you're being ripped off in actual fact by these criminals because they are criminals. These are people that are making money and laughing in the face of, uh, of, of the law and indeed the general public.
0: Raphael, many thanks for that. You can watch the full Panorama show tonight at 8.30 on BBC One. And if, if this affects you in any way, I mean, there, there's obviously different scales. There's the huge scale where people are making tens of thousands of pounds by, by um, duping landowners and, and, and just getting thousands of tyres in there. But there's also the small local scale uh, where it's, it's small businesses, it's lazy people, just dumping them in a lay-by, chucking them in a field. If this affects you, 08459 Five double five. Uh, and what can we do to stop it? On the micro level I'm talking about here, the, the big level it's going to be government agencies and the police that are hopefully going to be able to crack down on that. But on the small level, in, the, in your community where you live, how can you crack down on that? 08459
4: 555 Beds Hearts and Bugs News
0: BBC Three Counties Radio Here are the headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio The government will today announce details of a £9 billion investment in Britain's railways The projects will include extending electrification of the Midland Main Line from Bedford to Sheffield upgrading the East Coast line and the reopening of the East West link from Oxford and Aylesbury to Milton Keynes Thousands of athletes and officials will begin arriving in London today for the Olympic Games with the opening ceremony just 11 days away, the preparations have reached a new intensity. In sport, Watford centre- centre-half Adrian Mariapa is expected to complete a £2 million move to Reading today. Hornets manager Gianfranco Zola said last week they wouldn't stand in Mariapa's way if he wanted to move to the Premier League. We've got a full sports bulletin in 15 minutes with Simon. There'll also be a full weather bulletin in a moment. Coming up... This year's bad weather has proved almost apocalyptic for much of the UK's wildlife, says the National Trust. We find out more before 9am. Joined in the studio by Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Good morning, Jonathan. Hello. (laughs) I always this. I'm in trouble with Simon because I, I I play the beds at the wrong time. Oh, so for him, no. I'm in trouble
9: with you because I always forget to put your microphone. Don't on. worry. It's it's often better if you don't open my microphone. I think. <laughs> Did you have a nice weekend? I had a lovely weekend. Yes, a very uh, very exhausting weekend, but very pleasurable weekend. Thank you Excellent. very much. In Cambridge yesterday, I was for a luxury barbecue. What's a luxury barbecue? That sounds like an oxymoron. All right. So it was rather nice. It had a few burnt sausages Ooh. and uh, some burnt burgers. I took my 98 year old grandmother. <laughs> I saw you tweeting about going to see yes. her. Yes, and uh, I took her all the way there, and we sat down. We'd been there about half an hour before she decided she wanted to go. <laughs> well, I think I really think it's about time we left now, isn't it? She said. I think we, we don't want to outstay our welcome. I said. We've only just arrived. We'll stay here a bit longer. Did you, you made you made a ninety eight year old woman stay somewhere? I she made didn't want her to stay there here. for four hours. I said, look, we're not leaving. John We've only John just John arrived. Smith. And then in the car on the way home, she said, well, it is a shame we had to leave so early, isn't it? You can't win. <laughs> uh, I, I
0: haven't got any grandparents, they're not with me anymore, but I do miss that kind of... My mum's a bit, little bit dotty, and right. speaks her mind, and
9: I, I do enjoy that kind of slight dottiness. Yes, well, it's uh, lovable, isn't it? Lovable. Yes. <laughs> Coming up on the big phone-in today, is it unfair to bring children up without a mother? Front page of one of today's papers is the Watford superstar, Sir Elton John, talking about his 18-month-old son, Zachary. He's reported to have said it'll break his son's heart to realise he hasn't got a mother. Sir Elton and his partner David Furnish have made it no secret that they want to have another child to keep Zachary company, but the star has admitted it will be heartbreaking for Zachary to grow up without a mum well from nine today I want to hear your views on this do you think it is unfair to bring children up without a mother do children need a mother in their lives if two men decide to have a baby together is it ultimately unfair on the child or do you think that children adapt to the family they're being brought up in and as long as they're surrounded by plenty of love it simply doesn't matter Oh, eight four five nine four double five five double five. is it unfair to bring children up without a mother did they not realise there wouldn't be a mum beforehand it only just dawned on him now that that's the situation well it's a bit bizarre really, isn't it yeah. to suddenly come out with this now yeah but perhaps it's you never know perhaps it's kind of struck him because he looks at his little boy and he feels in some way that he's now missing out without a mother for I, uh, it doesn't worry me the fact about there being two dads it, the, the, the age thing is the thing that worries me being that old and having
0: uh, having a child a 65 year old dad yeah i'm well, I, i'm i'm nearly 40 And uh, I'm going to be, when my son's 15, I'm going to be in my 50s. And that worries me because I'm not going to be able to keep up with him.
9: Yes, you will. You'll be all right. If you say so, John. You'll be fine. You're a young, virile man. (laughs) (laughs) I get out of
0: breath literally walking up the stairs. do you yeah i do i'm so unfit oh do you work do you work out you yeah, can't you tell <laughs> <laughs> jonathan Vernon smith will be on at nine o'clock do stick around if you want to give him a call you can 08459 455 don't call him yet though if you call now you'll have to come on my show and put up with me whittering away i've got to move on we've got so much to cram in in the, the i was chatting to jonathan for so long that we have we have so much to cram in we'll be talking about elton john's uh, he's got a book out and we'll be talking about that in a few minutes but we mentioned this earlier on uh, about the troops possibly getting an olympic bonus and you've been Calling in, and I and thank you for that. If you uh, want to give me a call, oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Should our troops get a bonus during the Olympics? The Coalition government has refused to rule out calling up thousands more troops on top of the three and a half thousand they've already called up to protect the Olympics, but rejected calls for soldiers to be paid a Games bonus. Defence Secretary Philip Hammond said trained soldiers were not bus drivers, a reference to workers who will receive a £500 bonus for working during the Games. Our reporter Justin Dealey has been finding out what you think. So the troops, do they deserve
1: a bonus? What do you think? Yes, I do. Yes, because if money has been paid to um, this company and they've not used it all, and they're now bringing the troops in, they've already done a hell of a lot of
18: business over in Afghanistan. They should be paid, I'd like to see it put in their pockets so they can treat their families. And we're talking about £300 million here of taxpayers' money. When you hear that they haven't fulfilled that job, does that make you feel pretty sick? Yeah, I suspect it's just the directors that think they've done their job by taking the money. <laughs> and a word on the Olympics themselves, are
1: you actually looking forward to it? Yes, I am. I saw it, uh, I think I have watched it every four years. I saw them when I was about, um, I don't know, some ridiculous age, because I'm 81 now, I think Mm. it was when I was
18: 18. And, uh, yeah, I think it's fabulous, good for the country, and this country needs all the help it's got. Be proud to be British, mate. Now, you've got some very strong feelings on this. You're saying, yes, absolutely.
19: Why do they deserve a bonus, the troops? Well, because um, I used to be in the forces myself, and I think they're doing something that uh, they weren't supposed to do in the first place. Mm. Uh, Some of them come back from uh, abroad doing some very hard work there and now obviously they've been pulled in away from the families away from any holidays any planned things that they had after doing some work and now for doing extra work which is fine but doing some work for somebody who failed to do so in the first place let me just ask you this lastly then isn't it their duty just to say yes uh, and not even think about a bonus how would you answer that? which they are doing in the first place they're not asking for it but I think they deserve, thank you, not just for them, but the families. And
18: thank at the end of the day, the families. But, but they, of course, are picking up somebody else's mess. Somebody was paid £300 million Absolutely. to do this job, and they Absolutely. haven't done it.
19: Absolutely, yeah, simple as that, which I think they deserve, you know. Not £3 million, but extra few hundred pounds in their accounts, you know. Give a little present to children who are not going to see a dad on a holiday with them or not going to go on holiday at all. So it's just a thank you for them. Simon, it's pretty
18: clear this morning that most people think they do
15: deserve this bonus, yourself included. Tell us why.
19: Well, obviously some of them have probably made holiday
15: arrangements and things like that. Also, no one likes being told to step in at the last minute. So, yeah, I think they do deserve the bonus. Bus drivers and various other people are getting
0: bonuses for working in the Olympics. Why shouldn't they? What do you think, dear listener? Should the troops be getting a bonus for helping out at the Olympics? I mean, it's been a huge shambles, the whole um, G4S um, nonsense. £300 million. Actually, it's £298 million if we're going to um, split hairs. And that £2 million makes all the difference. If you paid me that much money, I could sort out people to look after the Olympics easily. I could totally get enough people to do it. So do the troops deserve some sort of bonus, some kind of recompense for this, or is it just their job? When the government asks them to do something, they do it. That's what they do. Yeah, sure, their leave has been postponed, but it's been postponed. They'll get it back at some point. And also, doing the security for the Olympics, compared to what they've done and where they've been, it's going to be a piece of cake for them, isn't it? They'll be able to do it on their heads. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five Do you think the troops should be getting a bonus during the Olympics, or do you think it's their job let them get on with it oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the phone number now he is a global superstar who sold a quarter of a billion records. Is that right? Wow. Won six Grammys. As well as that, Sir Elton John has also spent the last 20 years working to fight HIV and AIDS. The AIDS Foundation he set up in 1992 has raised £175 million. Well, for the first time, he's written a book about AIDS called Love is the Cure, which is published tomorrow.
20: We can eradicate AIDS more or less. There's no cure, there's no vaccine, but we really have this disease by the scruff of the neck. People are still ashamed and frightened to admit that they're HIV positive. With a disease that's so treatable now, and down to one pill a day in most cases, it's a far more treatable disease than diabetes, and it shouldn't be a shaming exercise to say you're HIV. In the book, Sir Elton is very candid about his earlier life. During the 1980s, and probably a little bit before, I was a huge drug addict. I was a cocaine user, and alcohol, and marijuana. I became self-absorbed, I knew that people were dying of AIDS because I lost so many friends. But I didn't actually do anything. I was in a drug fueled haze. His career has spanned five decades and he says his enthusiasm has kept him going. Sheer love of what I do. I think any career that lasts this long, you look at everybody whose career has lasted 50 years, 40 years, they're all great live. The Rolling Stones, Pink Floyd, Roger Waters, Bruce Springsteen, Prince, Sting. Your record sales will go up, they'll go down, they'll go down, they'll go up but what keeps you afloat is your ability to entertain an audience and to communicate with an audience and i've always been able to do that
0: he has some firm views on the current popularity of tv talent
20: shows i have nothing against them except the fact that when you win the x factor you have a year until it's the next person then you get dropped television is not a good way to have a start to career it's a shortcut to fame but it's also a shortcut to disaster I'm afraid the proof of the pudding now is The Voice. The single didn't get in the top 40, they've cancelled the live tour. There's been enough of these programmes now. It's not the right way to go about it. The right way to go about it is by getting in the back of a van with your mates, going playing live, getting all that experience, then making your record. He says he has no immediate plans to ease up on his own career, although being a parent now with his partner David Furnish will have an impact. While I'm doing this, while I'm feeling good, I'm going to keep working and I enjoy it. When Zachary goes to school, that's another different thing. I want to be here and I want to take him to school and pick him up. I don't want to miss that part of his childhood. So for the time being, I'm continuing as I have done in the past. Uh,
0: And uh, Jonathan Vernon-Smith will be discussing Elton John uh, from his show at nine o'clock, asking, do kids miss having a mum? We can call Jonathan after nine and uh, talk to him about that. We've got some texts here, 81333. We're talking... Uh, oh, there, well, here's one that's that's about nothing we've been talking about, but is interesting. Ian, and I'm going to read it as it's written, okay? Grammar and all. Ian, by the way, it's Ian, I-A-I-N. The correct way of spelling. I took my grandchildren to Sat and Sun, Saturday and Sunday, to battleground disgusting war down Park Luton. Please ask Luton, council when to clean it up and pope's meadow no more carnival etc on it again dave from luton i think what he's saying is that after the love luton festival the field's in a bit of a mess and when's it gonna be sorted we talked about this last week uh, and the council reckon it will take a month some of the experts reckon it might take a bit longer or oh, we should find out this week from the green flag association what their view is on it we'll look into that and see if we can get that on the show this week also asking how long do you let your kids watch tv um, and this one is anonymous Do include your names on the texts and emails When you get in touch We gave up our TV four years ago We do watch DVD Due to being in child development and brain psychology Our child gets 30 minutes most days Occasionally up to one and a half hours TV is second hand learning Unless you then do the activity To bring the two together TV takes a couple of hours to process in the brain So one hour at least before bed should not be done TV and electronic equipment Spoils communication skills People use TV far too much And to the detriment of their children. I, I, I agree for the most part, but I do think that TV can be wonderful and educational. And, and, and this text, I don't know if it's a man or a woman, says about bringing the two together. And I think that is important. At the weekend, Mr. Maker, we watched it then we made it. We watched it and then we made it. And then if there are bits we couldn't do, we watched that little bit back again and then we made it. So I think the interactivity, I think using TV as a passive tool is perhaps... Dangerous.
4: Across beds, hearts and barks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio.
0: Good morning, I'm here till nine o'clock if you want to give me a call. oh eight four five nine 555. Some of the lines are free. Um, we've got some texts here about... Um, we're asking, should the army be given a, a, an Olympic bonus for helping out? A um, text here. I understand G4S are being paid £30,000 per head. Do not... Uh, Know What they are paying their staff But normal average is £7 an hour Young troops will be paid around £3 an hour Out of this they'll be paying accommodation and food charges No doubt, says Richard The troops, Gary and Luton says The troops won't get any extra money for helping out at the Olympics But you can bet the MOD will demand money from G4S Which will be lost in their coffers The troops should be given their normal pay Plus the same wage as others employed by G4S Tax free Says Gary and Luton Well there is an argument that they're just doing their job, you know, that when the government says, hey, troops, do something, they do it. They serve. That's what they're brilliant at doing, following orders. We've got in, Lynn in Hemel. Good morning, Lynn. Hi, What do you think about this? Should they be given a well,
21: bonus? I think it's disgusting that anyone's even thinking they shouldn't have one. Why is that? Because they're not just doing their job. Their job doesn't involve policing some sort of stupid event, does it?
0: Well, some people would argue that their job does involve policing uh, events around the world, that that's what they've been doing. Uh, um, No, no, but what they're doing,
21: this is a sort of social event. The government government have screwed up yet again, employed a company that can't do the job, and then dragging the forces. Why should they be dragged in when they were supposed to be on holiday? And I'm just playing devil's advocate here.
0: Why, uh, the, the, the purpose of the army is to serve their government, and if their government says, we need you to do this, then they don't ask any questions, they get on and do it. And that's right and proper, isn't it? No, it isn't. You think that the army should be able to, uh, question
21: what jobs they're sent to do? Well, I do, to be honest. If they just come back from Afghanistan, it's a bit different from, like policing some public event
0: but if you if you take that to its natural its logical conclusion if there was an arm if there was a war that the army didn't agree with they could then say actually we're not we don't think this is ethically right we're not going to go to it so they have to follow orders
21: don't they i think to a point they do but that's that's a completely different argument isn't it and if they're sent to a war that's fine right if well, it's not fine because they shouldn't have to go to all these wars that have nothing to do with us. But the fact is, a company, a private company, have made millions of allegedly doing something they haven't done. And I only found out in your programme this morning, bus drivers are getting paid a £500 bonus.
0: The, the bonus has gone through for the bus drivers, yes. I'm glad that we we, we are educated. I only found out this morning from, from this programme as well. Uh, that does seem incredible, doesn't it?
21: I was just gobsmacked. You could say, well, a bus driver's just doing his job. So why couldn't you
0: get a bonus? Lynn, thank you very much for that. 08459 nine four double I'm here, I think, for the start of the Olympics. Do I get a bonus? Do I get a bonus for that? I, I, I'm going I'm to go on strike. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to withhold my services until I am paid an Olympic... Because I'll be getting like loads of Olympic updates I'll have to read and stuff. It's not like it's my job or anything. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. We could have a new superstar living in Bedfordshire. Jack Hooper from Bedford is one of a handful in the country to be awarded a full scholarship by the Andrew Lloyd Webber Foundation. What does this mean? Well, the £27,000 grant will fund 18-year-old Jack's tuition fees at the Liverpool Institute of Performing Arts, arts which was established by Sir Paul McCartney. Jack's on the line now. Good morning, Jack.
22: Morning. How did you feel when you found out? I was absolutely shocked, um, over the moon at the same time, but, yeah, couldn't believe it. <laughs>
0: Can I, can I ask, you are eighteen years old, aren't you? Yeah. You say you've got a deeper voice than me. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. How did how did you apply for this? Did you did you get nominated? Did you have to apply? What what was the um, process to get this grant?
22: Well, once I'd like got into the um the school itself, then they um they just sent me a letter saying, uh, well, we've got this grant, so if you want to apply for it then you can so i did and
0: <laughs> we've got this big load of cash if yeah. you want to <laughs> apply for it <laughs> you can yeah go on then i'll have a go did you get to meet andrew lloyd webber uh
22: no i met one of his casting directors
0: okay and uh, what what do you gonna be studying i know it's a performance art so it's kind of dance drama and, and music and everything c- combined yeah. but what is what do you want to specialize in
22: uh well the course itself is acting but Mainly I want to do musical theatre, which is Mm. uh, what the grant's all about, really. Right.
0: So you're obviously a big fan of Lloyd Webber's, all Starlight and Cats and all of those kind of yeah. things. And is this something that you've always wanted to do? Are you one of those people from a very young age?
22: Um, yeah, yeah, that's me. <laughs> and
0: what, what did your? Because I listen I, when I went, to, I went, to, I studied performing arts. I did a long, long time ago, uh, and uh, the plan was to be an actor. I ended up being a comedian, and it kind of got sidetracked. But I'm still kind of in that sphere in other parts of my life. But when I was at school, and uh, the teachers, one teacher in particular. Uh, would say so you know what do you want to be when you when you leave school i say i want to be an actor they go (laughs) yeah but seriously what do you want to be did you get that response or was your school quite supportive
22: um i i think they were very supportive of me yeah um i mean there's always a couple of teachers who are you know really is that really Mm. what you want to do but no i think most most of most of them are
0: behind me. I remember uh, there was one teacher in particular who was adamant that I was never going to have any career in in, in performance or whatever. Uh, And then about, after I left school, maybe about six, seven years later, there was an article written about me in The Guardian. A big page article about me in The Guardian, which meant I'd made it. And this teacher sent me a letter saying, oh Ian, it's so marvellous to see you doing so well. It'll be wonderful to keep in touch. I never wrote back. That was my my way of something. Uh, Jack, listen, uh, how long is the course? Is it a three-year course? Uh, Yeah, three Years. Fantastic! Listen, you're going about to have the and you go this September, do you? Yeah, you're going to have the best three years of your life, Jack. Enjoy every moment of it. Thank you, and <laughs> congratulations, and best of luck, and I hope it, it works out the way you want it to. Thank you. Superb. There we go. Talent. I think you have to kind of support it, and you have to applaud it, and you have to encourage it. And there are so many places where they don't. And it's like, well, that's not a proper three year course. Well, do you know what actually it is It's hard work. It's not the same as as studying history or, you know, it's physics. It's hard work. Wish you the very best of luck, Jack. That would be superb. There was a story. I meant to mention this earlier on and I completely forgot because we could have done a thing on this. Never mind. Maybe we'll have a look at it tomorrow. Women have higher IQ than men. It's in the mail. It's in a few of the papers. Women have higher IQ than men. Uh, For the first time in IQ testing, psychologists have found that female scores have risen above those of men now the thing about men have always had higher iqs than women uh and for the first time women now have the higher iqs and it's all about evolution of of the way we we work and the way our brains function and stuff but iq tests if i'm right and if if you've ever done an iq test be good if you give me a call iq tests it's not like proper intelligence is it it's not stuff that's useful to you it's not how do you apply for a mortgage it's kind of weird Questions that analyse... It's, you know, you look at a box and there are three numbers in it and you have to work out the missing number. No, hang on, that's Sudoku. But it's that kind of thing, isn't it? It's, it's getting your brain around stupid little problems that in the great scheme of things serve no purpose whatsoever. It's Mensa is, uh, I think, one of the, the weirdest elitist organisations there is. You can only join if you've got a certain IQ. And what do they do? Have we got anybody in Mensa listening to this? I doubt it. And They probably were the other week when David was doing the show, but when it's me listening, they've all, they've all switched off and found some intelligent show somewhere else. If you're a Mensa um, member or you've applied for Mensa, what, what do you do? What does it entitle you to? Do you get, like, a little badge and a card that says, I've got a high IQ? How does it work? 08459 double five. 555 is the phone number uh, and uh, g- g- what kind of questions do they have to test your IQ it sounds l- like a-, a-, a nonsense really yes women congratulations you-, you can have a higher IQ we'll let you have that but what purpose does it serve you in life uh, one of the reasons for women having higher IQs is that lives have become more demanding as they multitask between raising a family and doing a job Another is that women have a slightly higher potential intelligence than men and are only now realising it. 08459 555 is the telephone number. How does that work? The whole IQ thing is, it's, it's just invented by some people to make them look good. Isn't it? That's how it works. 08459-455-555 is the telephone number.
4: Beds, hearts, and bugs news.
0: BBC Three Counties Radio. Here are the headlines at 845 on BBC Three Counties Radio. The government will today announce details of a £9 billion investment in Britain's railways. The projects will include extending electrification of the Midland Main Line from Bedford to Sheffield, upgrading the East Coast line, and the reopening of the East West link from Oxford and Aylesbury to Milton Keynes. Police are appealing for mobile phone footage after three men were stabbed in a fight at the Milton Keynes Bowl during Saturday night's concert by the Swedish House Mafia. One man, a 23-year-old from uh, the West Midlands, suffered a punctured lung, but Thames Valley have described uh, described it as an isolated incident and say overall they were pleased with how the event passed off. In sport, Watford centre-half Adrian Mariapa is expected to complete a £2 million move to Reading today. Hornets manager Gianfranco Zola said last week they wouldn't stand in Mariapa's way if he wanted to move to the Premier League. The weather for Bed's hearts and bucks a cloudy day. It's is wet, basically. I just say it's wet. Light patchy rain this morning, with heavier rain this afternoon. Top temperature, 18 degrees Celsius. Good morning, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Don't forget, after nine o'clock, I know that a couple of new listeners have strayed onto this station because they've, they've, they've kind of followed me from whatever nonsense I used to do elsewhere. If you are listening because you, you wanted to hear me, uh, stick around uh, after nine o'clock to listen to JVS. He's genuinely brilliant. I'm not towing the company line. Um, here, I wouldn't do that Uh, I I genuinely think he's fantastic and I make a point of when I'm driving home, sometimes I go out of the range a little bit, if I have to drive into town or something, I drive a little bit slower so I get to hear him, his consumer hour after 11, the whole show is fantastic but the consumer hour is just a joy, just a joy some of the stuff This year's bad weather has proved almost apocalyptic for much of the UK's wildlife, says the National Trust. Many birds, bats, butterflies, bees, amphibians and wildflowers have been struggling in parts of Bedfordshire in the cold, wet conditions. Somebody else who's been struggling uh, in the cold, wet conditions is Justin Dealey, who's at Dunstable Downs this morning. Good morning, Justin.
18: Ian, good morning. Normally at this time of the year I'm seen up here on the Dunstable Downs in my string vest, but uh, <laughs> this time of the year it's um, it's it's horrendous. I can't believe how cold and grey it is. It's dreadful up here. Uh, wh- wh- what does it look like? It's, it's damp and dark, is it? It's absolutely horrible. Uh, I've got to be honest with you. It's um, it's like an October's morning up here. It's it's not particularly pleasant. But in saying that, actually, if you were to be somewhere on a cold, horrible morning, the Dunstable Downs is still a good place to be because you can see for miles around you. No, seriously, it is a come on, Justin. It's
0: not. It's not. It is beautiful there. I've been there. It's fantastic. It's not as good as being in bed though. This is where we'd all (laughs) like to be. The whole (laughs) breakfast team would like to be in bed right now. Not the same bed, but in bed nonetheless. Uh, Let's talk to the National Trust's Conservation Advisor, Matthew Oates. Good morning, Matthew. Good morning. How has the weather affected the local surroundings?
2: Well, weather affects our, our wildlife and us. Hugely, uh, of course. And our um, climate is terribly um, inflexible. I mean, it it, um, changes um, immensely. And we do tend to get appallingly bad summers from time to time. That's nothing new. But this one is especially bad, let's face it. Uh, So much of our wildlife is having a really bad time this year. There are always winners and losers. But this year, at the moment, there are actually precious few... Um, winners, but it has been a surprisingly good year for downland orchids um uh, especially something called the bee orchid which does what it says on the packet and tries to mimic a bee um it it, it tries to mimic a bee well it looks it looks in shape not like wonderful it's pink um but it uh, in shape the flower looks like a bee so it's quite staggering it's been a really good year for them um are there any
0: animals matthew that are benefiting benefiting from the weather
2: um, well, yes, um, slugs. They're having a oh, they're, having, they're having a fantastic time, as um, any um, gardener or uh, allotment holder uh, will know. Try growing runner beans this year.
0: We had a chap on last week, a wildlife expert, who um, uh, said that it was possible to eat slugs. Is that, is that one, one thing you would recommend, Matthew? Um, personally, no. Good, good. That's, a, that's the correct answer. Uh, is there anything we can do to help the birds and the bats?
2: Well, there, there isn't much at really we can do um, at at this time of year, obviously we're very geared up towards feeding winter birds, uh, but putting out the wrong sort of food uh, at this time of year for, uh, which then gets fed to baby birds is likely to do more harm than good um, no we all our wildlife and indeed us including sort of farming horticulture food production and the whole uk tourist industry desperately needs to jet stream to actually move north uh, and give us some decent sunshine and i really 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 hope that um, the Olympics would generate a heat wave. Surely they will, because we'll all be indoors watching television. Exactly, Ma- Matthew, stay there.
0: Justin, y- you're up at uh, Dunsville
18: Downs. What's been seen mm. up there recently? Well, it's quite interesting in that, that they've got this visitor centre here, and outside that they've got a big sign saying recently seen. So, in terms of birds, it's red kites, it's meadow pipits, even chiff they've been seen. <laughs> chiff chap isn't a bird! <laughs> you, you've made that up. <laughs> no, apparently it's true. Chiff chaff. Uh, yeah, chiff chaffs, uh, red starts, great tits, blue tits, uh, yellow hammers, butterflies, uh, brimstones, a uh, Duke of Burgundy, and in terms of mammals, foxes, badgers, a wood mouse, and also a hare. But uh, just briefly, in, I've been talking to Anne this morning. Yes. She's a regular up here at the Downs, and this is what she's seen.
23: When the, the wind's good and it's coming up the escarpment, you get birds of prey, uh, buzzards, red kite kestrels are regular but everyone knows those um the red kites them, you know they're becoming more common in this area um the buzzers are great see them soaring circling only do uh, when the weather dries up though and we've not had so much of that just (laughs) lately
18: (laughs) it has been dreadful so so with the weather then what haven't you seen here what what have you noticed a decline in in recent weeks because of the weather
23: certainly not seen so much of the small birds the warblers and the little birds that you know live in the scrub and stuff i think because the wind it tends to keep them down you don't hear them singing you don't see them on top of the bushes um you know you don't see the yellow hammers up on the top singing Um, Yeah, the Skylarks are pretty brave. They get out there, but... Yeah, I'm sure it's um, the bad weather. Certainly had I would imagine had a bad effect on some of the breeding birds, particularly small
18: songbirds in this area. Can't you do something about this weather, please? I wish I could. (laughs) Anybody can,
23: you can sure. With the summer holidays coming up, (laughs) anyone who's got kids is or is hoping for good weather (laughs) because the last thing you want is rain at the beginning of the summer holidays. (laughs) Absolutely, it's a very
18: special place. Thank you so much for your time.
23: That's okay. You're welcome.
18: (laughs) So there you go. Ian the words of uh, Anne, there. So Mm. she, you know, with the bad weather, has actually noticed a decline of some of these birds as well so it's not just the experts saying that it's the people that that come to this part of the world on a regular basis as well matthew what
2: is a chiff it, it's a type of a small type of warbler they only come for the summer and crucially uh, they're insect feeding right so they need really strong pop- high populations of flying insects and caterpillars and believe me i'm an entomologist populations of winged insects are, are seriously mm. de- depleted at the moment simply because of foul and abusive weather for several months of it so chiff chaffs and all their friends and relations are having a bit of a hard time
0: could a good summer matthew um next year revive the local wildlife or are we um, try, uh, is there a chance we might have some permanent damage here yeah, lovely
2: thank you so much for asking that um uh, our, our wildlife really does go in boom and bust phases if the weather picks up then the wildlife picks up hugely with it so all is not lost uh, by any means but but really the prospect for next summer being a good butterfly summer, for example, uh, are, pretty li- are pretty low at the moment. Um, it it would take a, probably a couple of years for various species of butterfly, for example, to, to rebuild uh, after this. And last year wasn't a good summer either. So they've been on a bit of a down mm. for a while now. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what happens in summers like this is that we lose small colonies of, of, of particularly winged insects. Um, which are in small isolated pockets hither and thither and they just die out they become extinct um, but then when you get a good summer sequence again then those small isolated pockets of habitats what we call habitat um, just get recolonised um, so it's these, these, these boom and bust these vicissitudes if you know what I mean mm. <laughs> which we live in um, and this is, this is a big low ebb it really is a deep ebb we're in at the moment
0: Matthew thank you very much that's Matthew Oates who is the uh, National Trust Conversa- uh, conversation expert? Conservation advisor, that's the right phrase. Justin, go, go and get yourself somewhere warm, please. Yes, I will. No, good, no problem. Good lad, we're we going to have a nice cup of tea somewhere and, uh, and, and warm yourself up. Um hither and thither. Five points for using that phrase. One of my favourite phrases. Excellent. Thank you, Matthew. Thousands of athletes and officials are due to start arriving in London today for the Olympic Games as questions remain about recruitment of security staff. With the opening ceremony now just 11 days away, preparations for London 2012 are intensifying. Heathrow Airport is standing by to process as many as 120,000 passengers on Monday, while the first priority games lanes may become operational on the M4 this morning, hopefully to whisk them on their onward journey. Meanwhile, of course, the chairman of g 4 has refused to express support for his chief executive over the recruitment debacle and there have been questions about the government's oversight of security. Our reporter Lisa Costello has been following events. Good morning, Lisa.
24: Morning, Ian. Uh,
0: Things really moving up a gear now in terms of the preparations, aren't they?
24: That's right, yes. The first athletes and officials have started arriving now at Heathrow and that uh, dedicated Olympics games lane, which you mentioned on the M4 between Junction 3 and 2, has now opened and is operational. Of course, that that forms just part of a 30-mile network of dedicated lanes uh, known as the Olympic Route Network, which will be operational by the middle of next week. But this is the the forerunner, if you like, and and the test of the system. So people will be watching to see what goes on with that. Away from transport, of course, you've also got the biggest anti-doping operation, Operation in the history of the Olympics uh, also due to begin today, with drug testers uh, taking the first of about 6,000 samples for testing at London labs. So all of that on the go as as preparation ramps up and people waiting to see, obviously, how Heathrow, which is the main hub, uh, really for the olympic games 80 percent of all games visitors expected to use that airport how it copes how the uk border force will cope with uh, people coming through there so lots of questions and people waiting to see how things pan out and these special
0: olympic lanes are proving quite controversial aren't they
24: That's right, yes. Obviously London, as we all know, one of the busiest and most congested cities at the best of times, and taking out 30 miles of route at its heart is really going to cause some concern with locals trying to get about their daily business. Now, Kevin Delaney from the Institute of Advanced Motorists, he's a former head of traffic at the Met, so he knows what he's talking about, and he says the network could cause real problems.
5: If anything
1: goes wrong with the the, the central and inner London transport network, we tend to get... You know, a wholly disproportionate amount of congestion, and so that the games lanes themselves will actually impose serious constraints on this already stretched network.
24: And, of course, quite apart from the concerns of congestion, you don't want to stray into these lanes because you're going to get slapped with a 130 quid fine if you do. for thought there.
0: Ouch. Uh, Very quickly, a political row ongoing about the recruitment processes of G4S. Who knew what, when and where and who, and who should have known what, when and where and who? And it's all just so complicated, isn't it?
24: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it is very complicated, but all of this is not going anywhere fast. And pressure really building on some of those involved, particularly Nick Buckles, the chief executive of G4S. He hasn't had the backing of his uh, chairman, the chairman of the company, John Connolly. And Nick Buckles will go before the Home Affairs Select Committee tomorrow to answer questions on this. So we may uh, see some more developments in this story before then. But clearly some serious questions for the company to answer. Many people saying serious questions for the government and the Home Secretary, Theresa May, to answer as well about why there wasn't closer scrutiny of the ability of G4S to deliver uh, and why there wasn't earlier intervention from the government because we all know now that there was a a report nearly a year ago which pointed to the fact that there was problems Uh, and why was it that the government didn't intervene at an earlier date the uh, chairman of London 2012 Lord Coe says security hasn't been compromised but clearly there are serious questions to answer on this.
0: Lisa Costello thank you very much and the final text uh, on the should the armed forces get a bonus this is from Phil. As a former member of the armed forces the idea of being paid extra for police The Olympics would not have been raised without the interference of the media. As a member of the forces, you just get on with it.